Hey, all you cool cats and kittens out there. We're back again. Wish that I could be like the cool kids. <laughs> all the cool kids, they, they seem, seem to fit, fit in. in. All right, my brother, let's, yeah, let's get a little ding. Get a little dilly dilly up in, in here. Malice in the chalice in this bad boy. Malice in mm. the chalice. Yeah, so... You know, not, not what my favorite part of like this whole week was, was getting all the reviews about how great our audio sounded, like for the one we just did with, with our new equipment. How awesome is that, that uh, we were able to, you know, hear back from you guys about how much, how, how much clearer it was. It, it's just, it makes, it makes, it makes me feel good knowing that what we did and all this stuff was worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You Super guys cool. have no idea what yeah. we've been working with. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So I'm glad that everyone, you know, can notice, you guys had a noticeable, said it was a noticeable difference and it's, you know, even better than before. So I gotta say about though, that. I got, I gotta say, and I feel like the, I guess the fans should know, you know, we really are one of those true stories like Paramore, how they started out. You know, we're just playing in bars. Or Katy Perry slept in their car. Like we're one of those true stories. Like one of these days, we're gonna tell everyone exactly the stuff yeah. that we started with, how days. we came came forward. We're, I want to. I think I want to wait a little bit to see. Uh, you know, kind of let the story grow a little bit. You know what I mean? But I'm definitely. I can't wait to let it grow. <laughs> let it grow. I think that people would be very, very surprised if they were to actually Til hear we about can't and record see. anymore. So clearly, Chase wants to be in a Disney musical tonight, um, and uh, that's fantastic. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, so I always like to give you guys an update on on numbers. Uh, those are looking good as well, guys. We're getting more reviews than ever before. Uh, thank you guys. So it's you know it's, what's really cool is it's not just um, listeners that are are sending us reviews. It's also uh, other podcasts like who are also doing their own content. They're sending yeah. us reviews, which is really That's cool. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Um, shout out to uh, through the eyes of Sterling. Sterling, uh, we saw you have the coronavirus in New York, man, or you know where you're at currently, and uh, just wanted to give a shout out to you because it it really means a lot. You know. Um, we know you're going through a lot right now, and you took even time to review us. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that story. We got we got a picture from um, from Sterling, and it was him in the hospital with 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 a mask on, and he's you know he informed us that uh, you know he had the coronavirus, but like you know he was still super excited to listen to our next episode. So the fact that you know we we made enough of an impression on somebody to like. When all, all that going on, imagine like, you know, yeah. with all the things that are going on in the world and then having it and then still, you know, like you guys, like our, our content was important enough to somebody from to reach out and let us know like they were still excited. I think that's really, really cool. It really was. I mean, you know, when your life's on the line and then it's kind of reminds me when the show is out, you know, <laughs> if my life was on the line, I still wanted to see what happened in season eight. Well, not <laughs> but um, no, yeah, uh, that's really cool. Just to give him a shout out because it really meant a lot to us. Um, yeah. You know, Sterling, you're the man. Tune into uh, Through the Eyes of Sterling. It's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And get well soon, man, please. Like for all of us, get well soon. Yeah, we, we got you got our you got our thoughts and our prayers and uh you know, so um, to all you guys yeah, out there, honestly, I mean, it's—I know it's a big mess right now. But, but, I mean, think about it. All the things that are going on, not just the virus itself, but like like the low economics, people losing their jobs. It's just—it's um, one of those things, guys. That it, it, it was unprecedented, but we know that you know the greatest thing about people in general is that when we pull together, we anything can be accomplished. So. 
uh, you know, follow the guidelines from our leaders. Stay home, social distance as best you can. Uh, stay like, hygienic. Wash your hands. Don't touch, stop touching your face, and uh, we'll get through this. But enough of the you know the negative stuff. Let's 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 talk about why we're here, my man. Yeah, man. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, Episode three, yeah. season six. So yeah, we're gonna be this. So this is our uh, part two of our season six podcast, which is gonna cover episodes three for today and uh, i noticed that you know you guys uh, if you didn't tune in last time you didn't see it uh you'll see some new audio setups and the cards that we had talked about uh last week we got them back out here um just cool little, like little tiny easter eggs that i gave if i if we ever show like a picture in depth of what our cards look like on like the, the right hand side i have like our little fof 001 which for us is i and it is like a little wink to a uh, factor fantasy and it's the first card i made in the second one so um, yeah, we're excited to use those. I didn't use either of mine last episode, so you know, let's see if I uh, if I throw one out this time. First edition, man. Maybe first we'll edition. do a a little contest one day, and we'll see if we'll get a first edition card. Yeah, that's yeah. exciting. Um, but yeah, no, let's 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 kind of talk a little bit about uh, where I we left summon off. the malice and the chalice. You can only do it once per episode. Is that your mouth? I'm just kidding, bro. Let's uh, no, get let's get our little let's get our little baby. Let's go. Mm. Oh, off to the pit, to the pit, to the pit of misery. Sounds like so, an Evanescence song. I think that since we got these new condenser mics, Chase really wants to become a recording singer. So, guys, let us know how he's doing with his voice, so that a way I don't have to be the one to hope break his hopes and dreams. So, uh, anyways, guys, let's singer, let's jump into uh, what we're going on Just here, where Josh we uh, kind of left off. Uh, on episode two, uh, obviously we've got uh, Euron Greyjoy. He's been introduced to the fold. Um, we also have uh, Roos Bolton murdered by Ramsay, and then obviously the big where we left off, like the big leave off. Um, Jon Snow. Jon Snow uh, gaps and opens in his air, and he's breathing again. Here's Johnny. Johnny's back. So real excited about that. Um, Let's uh let that's where we kind of left off and let's take it from there because you know in in episode three what really ends up happening here uh he oh he he's alive and what's I think it's really cool because like when not only obviously the fact that he was brought back to the dead but he remembers like everything that happened right up to the point where he died you know what I mean like it's not like he has like amnesia or forgot like he remembers every detail like. They they stabbed me. They murdered me. You know, like Ollie. He like murder yeah. right there. Kill the children. Yeah, we're done with him. We're done. I will not hear anything more about that guy for the rest of this arc. Until but uh, <laughs> um, no, so uh, you know he like he tries to like you know he tries to stand up and like Sir Davos like catches him like right before he's the floor. He's like like legs are weak. Imagine like losing that muscle mass. Like you were legitimately dead. Like for however long it was, maybe a day and a night. Yep. And like legit, like <laughs> you just came back from the dead. Now, like you don't even know what's going on. He's like, "Why am I here?" Like he's like, it's almost like he wanted to remain dead because we think about it later on. Like you know, he what he says to Melisandre right before the big battle. You know what I mean? Like it's like he didn't want to come back. He was he felt betrayed. Like he was so sad. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I I think it's a good point you brought up there because as you remember, he he's remembering back uh, to all the men of the night's watch that did betray him betray him and he's looking at the stab wounds and one of the biggest things that really affected him at this point was ollie um he remembers you know that last stab that he had 
I, which I want to say, you know, always quote for the Night's Watch. But I always want to say, eat your dead mama and your dead papa. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really sad, too, because Ollie was someone that John had taken under his wing. And it's even more sad, too, because if you remember in the battle for Castle Black, Ollie killed Egret, which was, like, John's first true love. Like, Ollie put an arrow through her. And so, like, you know, not only, like, did he never hold resentment against him for doing that, he took him under his own wing and, like, tried to, like, bring up him up to be a steward. Remember, he was, like, training him in the yard, like, in battle. Like, like he had, like, an like a older brother, younger brother, like, close bond with this, this kid. Yeah, it and was. That's, like, the ultimate betrayal. It really was. I mean, we talk about this all the time. It, You know, there's symbolism between the Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker throughout the series. And for those of y'all that are just turn- tuning in on this episode that doesn't, didn't listen to the ones before, Dead Mama and Dead Papa, Dead Mommy, Dead Poppy. That was what the um, the Thin said to Ollie when yeah. he killed his parents and uh, why Ollie hated the wildlings so much, which exactly. is why he stabbed Jon Snow. Right. So, yeah, great, great point to bring that back and like go full circle with it. Full circle is wildlings uh, like raided and massacred Ollie's village. Ollie was left alive to go tell the crows at Castle Black like what happened. Then every, like everything happened at Castle Black. They held off the wall from the wildlings, and then uh, they, they ended up having to go to Hardhome to get the wildlings because the, like, the Army of the Dead would have massacred them, and they would be more, you know, m- more members of the Army of the Dead. So Jon Snow had come up with the uh, idea that, hey, we're going to bring the wildlings past the wall because we're going to need them if we're going to survive. We can't, you, you know, it, it's impossible, you know, as it is. We're going to need all the help that we can get. Half the Night's Watch was for it. Half the Night's Watch was against it. Ollie happened to be one of the ones that was super against it because the Wildlings like massacred his entire village and his family, and so that's why uh, he ended up stabbing John in the heart. Yeah, for and the watch. I <laughs> think at this moment, you know, um, I turned my hat backwards because Josh hates it when I have my hat forward because I a uh, bang on the mic. <laughs> you know, I, I hit the rocker. Uh, shout out to our guys at Film Rage, by the way. Um, tune into Film Rage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You know, it's time to rage. You know, because I'm always getting my head banging on over here. Um, and I hit the mic, which is why I had to turn my hat backwards. But my point is about Ollie, right? Um, you know, Ollie was really kind of. You know, we we always bring up the Star Wars quotes because we're big Star Wars guys. He really was kind of the Anakin Skywalker to John. Like John was training him up. He really saw something in him. So I honestly, I I want to say even Alistair Thorne, all the other Night's Watchmen that stabbed him. Yes, it, it was that moment where he's like, "Wow, I can't believe my people are betraying me, and I'm sitting here dying." Uh, you know, it's vaping in the air as they're coming out. It's literally the holes are coming out my body and I'm bleeding out here. But the one that affected him the most is the emotion of Ollie, this little boy, little kid, like Jonathan Taylor Thomas comes up with a knife and sits there, puts his left hand on John's back, pushes towards his stomach with the right hand and stabs him through the stomach the heart. all the way through the, the heart through the heart through the back and says for the night's watch on a Just cross that says traitor yeah for the watch but the biggest thing too about this is that it's not just a kid doing this it's like like, like i said there's a real emotional connection the, the real think about this bro john snow's last words were ollie like he yeah. was shocked. he's like 
Ollie. Ollie. And then they obviously, you know, but um, so now he's alive. Yay. Maybe we got him back, and but he's he's like really shit's about to go like, down. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So like you know he's he's like broken and like defeated at this point. He doesn't even want to like do anything. Like doesn't want any sort of revenge or anything. And Davos has to like convince him to keep fighting for as long as he can. And Jon Snow literally said like, and I have it quoted. He said, "I failed." And so Davos is like, "Good. Now go out and fail again." Yeah. <laughs> like like you know trying to get him like out of his funk because at the same time you, you you can't blame him he gave his entire life to the night's watch he literally died for something that he believed in and his own men betrayed him and the one the person he looked at as like the closest person to him probably at the watch maybe outside of maybe dolores ed betrayed him put a knife in his heart sir davo said go out there and clean up as much shit as you can and john sat there you know the john we knew at hard home would a, a john at castle black the John we have grown to know as a member of the Night's Watch would have taken control and stood up and basically said, I got this. The John that came back from the dead, that came back from the dead, responded and says, I don't know how. He, like, he that's lost it. All confidence. Like, he had, like, he was just done, like, defeated there and completely you know, confused. So, dude, completely confused. I get it though. So, uh, What's what happens next? You know, obviously, like he he talks him into you know just kind of having a semblance of him form himself. He walks out and like there's just like a line of people that are just like trying to see to believe. Like, did this guy really come back from the dead? And he's walking out. And then you know, I thought this was really funny. Uh, Tormund come up to him and he he goes, you know, these people they think you're some kind of a, of a god coming back from the dead. And Jon Snow goes, like, he goes, I'm no god. And Tormund's like, I know, I saw your pecker. Why would a god have a pecker that small? Yeah. <laughs> it was the funniest thing, uh, you know. And so that, that you know, it just shows like they had they grown close relationship. Because remember, those, those guys were enemies in the beginning because when they were in the Wildling and they had Jon Snow was kind of their prisoner, and then kind of joined them, and then he fought against them to escape back to the Night's Watch to warn them about the Wildlings coming. Like they have a really interesting full circle relationship, and now it's hard to find five people in Westeros that are closer to Jon Snow than Tormund. Yeah, uh, I gotta say, because uh, I never correct Josh on his quotes, because he's always correcting me because I'm terrible on the names. So Tormund actually says they think you're some kind of ghost. So he was off on one word, but it was pretty. No, dead it's on. God, bro. I'm gonna tell you right now. I can I, pull, like, pull it up. You sure? Let's pull it, pull it up. Because I, I guys, we're going. You're gonna should go, we pull the debate go card here. right now? Uh, <laughs> not the debate card. Wait, 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 wait. This maybe this is what we do the Tipsy Gypsy for. for Ooh, like see, a, this stop. is Tipsy Gypsy. This could be a Tipsy Gypsy. Maybe we should come out but, with a Tipsy uh, Gypsy card. That's a suggestion let's here. See here, I'm gonna. Uh, right because I literally wrote it down. Tormund says, "What kind of god would have a pecker that small?" And then yeah. Tormund says, "They think you're some kind of ghost." Some kind of god, I'm telling you. I have it. Like I, I watch it with the subtitles on. I pause it and re- write it word for word. Maybe I just don't understand the wildling <laughs> language. I understand everything Targaryen and everything Dothraki, <laughs> but I don't All understand right. the, the wildling Tormund language. Tormund pecker. Uh, here it goes. Should we put it on YouTube and put it next to the thing so they can hear it? That's a good idea. I like that. It's not bad. Man, so that way you can call me out even more. Absolutely. <laughs> Which, by the way, go to ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. You can watch all this. All right. Here it's playing for you guys.
think you're some kind of god. God. Oh, I thought it was god. ghost. I could have swore. So we'll chuck that up for the W category for your boy, Janelli. <laughs> Get uh, out of here, Janelli. Get out of here. So, yes. Uh, no, maybe like, it was his accent. Just, that's the thing. Like That's why I like to do the quotes. Because like, legitimately, I, guys, I watch the shows with the subtitles on, and I pause it just so I can make sure that I write it word for word. I try to write it word for word, but sometimes <laughs> some people don't make any sense. <laughs> it's tough. Especially like, if you don't watch especially with their accents, it, it can be tough. And that's why I, I'm a big proprietor, guys. I don't know how people don't watch the things with the subtitles on. I love subtitles. But uh, so let, let's keep going though. So he embraces like like Tomer embraces John has that little funny like moment there, and then like Dolores Ed too. Like uh, he embraces him, and he kind of has a little like you know back and forth with yeah, him. He's like, you know, is that right. still you in there? Yeah. And uh, he's like, uh, you know, I think so. Or he made a joke too, and he's like, yeah, that's funny. Are you sure that's still you? <laughs> like so, you know, I didn't write that quote down. Maybe you've got that. On your end there, but uh, no, nah, I didn't. No, write that one yeah, down. I mean, it's not, it wasn't, wasn't really. <laughs> you important. got me stumped with the yeah. whole ghost thing. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I mean, that, that just shows me that how much respect the wildlings and whoever was the rest of the Night's Watch were loyal to him. How how much they loved John. It's like they were all out there. Like I mean, I, obviously, at the end of the day, if you see anyone come back from the dead, I think you'd have a big line of people ready. But like the people embracing him and like just like you know making sure he's okay, I just thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty funny uh, considering what weekend it is. Wow, you're right. So let's uh, let's go into um, a, like a little bit about what comes next, right? So we see Sam Tarly. We haven't seen Sam in a while. He's on his way to Old Town. Um, to, well, he's actually on his way to Horn Hill, not Old Town. It was like a, it was like he was gonna go to uh to Old Town first, but he realizes he couldn't bring uh Gilly and baby Sam because there's no women or children allowed at the Citadel. So he decides to make the decision to go to his home in Horn Hill. Now, uh, obviously, guys, if you were watching Game of Thrones, Sam has had a really poor relationship with his father. That's the whole reason why he's at the Night's Watch. His father threatened to kill him if he didn't go, so that way he wouldn't get the inheritance because he just basically didn't see him as his uh, true-born heir. Even though he, he was, he just wasn't the kind of person. Like, Randall Tarley is a great warrior and a great military commander. And Sam is none of those things. And so it's almost like Randall Tarley is embarrassed to have Sam as a son. Yeah. I do want to bring this up, too, because this is actually a big difference between the books and the show right now. Uh, so remember when we were going back into season five when Mance Raider was burned in the show? And remember I told you it was called, um, what was his name, Rat Shirt or something like that? You know I'm terrible with names. Um, but it was a wildling that was actually burned at the stake. Yeah, yeah. You were saying like it was like a transfiguration type deal, like yeah. some sort of magic, right? Exactly. Yeah. So actually in the book, uh, the baby is not Sam and Gillies. The baby is actually Mance Raiders. And uh, what was that woman's name? I forget. Val. Was, yep. Yeah, it was yep. Mance That's Raider right. and Val. That's right. Because yeah. don't forget, because Gilly actually left her baby. Um, I want to say... Was it back near the wall is where they she left it? Well, she her, still had her baby. She was taking care of both babies. She was taking care of Val and, and, and um, Mance's baby okay, as well got as it. hers. That's so right. Was, That's right. Yeah, babies. you're right. Okay. But, yeah, uh, just don't forget, yeah, that you know, Mance's baby is there and in like, the yeah, books. Like, there's never a mention of that in the series, so good good point out there. Um, that uh, because like you know, um, Val was meant to, like was known as a great wilding beauty. Like she was like like the, the the queen of the wildlings, and she's not mentioned at all in the TV series. Yeah, and actually, I we might want to double check that at one point because I I 
think she leaves her baby for a portion over at Castle Black, but I do remember Melisandre, um, because remember, there's a reason Sam and Gilly took that baby because they were afraid Melisandre was going to sacrifice it to mm-hmm. Azor Ahai. Mm-hmm. So that's a big portion there. For sure. Um, and then, yeah, so... Yeah, that we so that's the whole the, the whole Sam thing too. Is it's just it's one of those things that you know his father never really had time for him, didn't want him as a son, and, and send him off. So the fact that like he's he's taken a chance by going home to Hornhill, and you know like basically he what he what, his ideal scenario in his head is he's gonna drop the baby and Gilly off with like his mom. They're gonna take care of her while he goes and studies to become a maester at the Citadel in Old Town. Now, obviously, that doesn't <laughs> kind of plan out the way like he doesn't like, kind of play out the way he planned. But uh, you know, that kind of takes us in to Bran back with a three-eyed raven because we see uh, like middle-aged, like not not like old Ned yet, but not like kid Ned that we saw. We see like like I would say twenty-five-year-old Ned, like you know, twenty-five-year-old Ned, and also Howlin' Reed and a small retinue. They arrive at the Tower of Joy to rescue let's see this rescue liana right so it's it's interesting because um even though you you can kind of hear what it was about to happen before the big reveal later on in the seasons but um they get stopped by sir arthur dane the sword of the day morning sword of the morning sword of the morning yeah that's right sir arthur dane man and gerald hightower so this is this was interesting because We've heard stories about how great Sir Arthur Dane was. This is the first time that we get to see him in action. So, uh, I wanted this. This kind of quote gave me chills, like ready to like go to war when uh, like Sir Arthur Dane like puts uh, his sword in the like in the front of him and puts it down. Basically, like you know, you're not passing. Like you're st- this is it. You're staying right here. And he goes, um, he goes. Well, now it begins. And Ned looks at him. He says, No. Now it ends. And that was badass, man. That was pretty so, badass. And what was super cool, and we're going to go into it. I, I, we're, I'm going to throw something out here in a second. <laughs> but <laughs> what I want to talk about is the battle first because I think this was one of the most exciting, low-key moments that you know didn't get enough credit from viewers or the audience when this show aired. Straight up, Sir Arthur Dane was as good with his right hand with a sword as he was with his left. Like His left hand and right hand were like, Pretty in tune perfectly pretty amazing like he's straight up so there was a total of six it was six on two it was six on two i wrote it and um arthur dane kills four out of the six almost five with what happens like he he does he does uh injure howland reed very very severely but howland reed survives but Realistically, he took five fighters out of the picture in like a minute and a half. They so okay. So Ned, Ned, and Gerald Hightower had their one-on-one battle, and Ned defeated him pretty not like I wouldn't say easily, but like it was it was clear that Ned was a better swordsman. So Ned stabs Gerald Hightower through the neck, kills him. Boom. Okay. So now it's straight up like like five on one because at that point uh, Arthur Dane had already slashed Howland Reed across the chest, and he had he had gone down for the for the time being. Then. So five people, Ned, they all surround Sir Arthur Dane in a circle. And this guy has swords, a flurry of his two swords just flying all around. And 
Five people cannot touch this guy. He's cutting them down one by one, and it doesn't even look like he's breaking a sweat. Like, it's like the most easiest thing in the world to cut to these guys like a hot knife through butter. Cuts him down so easy that it becomes against, like, Ned and just him. And Ned was so far outclassed as a swordsman. It was not even, like, it was not even fair. Like, he, he beat Ned to the point where he disarmed him, and he was about to kill Ned, and then Howland Reed, like, had enough energy to get up and, like, stab him from behind in the neck, and then... Ned finished it off, but the fact of the matter is, these guys were all like badass warriors. Like there were six on two, then five on one, and Sir Arthur Dane, for all intents and purposes, whooped everybody's ass. Whooped their ass, everybody's Literally, ass. Yeah. And I gotta bring this up to a point because even Bran realized, going all the way down the timeline here, Bran realized, even being just told by word of mouth. How great he was. Bran yeah. even said, father said he was the best swordsman he ever saw. Yes. Like, what does that tell you? And this is the time, like, so Ned saw uh, Robert Baratheon, you know, Robert used a Warhammer. He saw Rhaegar Targaryen. He saw Barristan Selmy. Ned saw a lot of people in their primes, like and a I, lot of the legendary warriors in their primes. And, and I love you said that because yeah. just to back up what you said, I have a quote here that says, this is Ned talking to the sword of the morning and he says the mad king is dead Rhaegar lies beneath the ground why weren't you there to protect your prince it just goes to show ned was seeing all of these things all these things happen all the way back to Ares and robert's rebellion and he still has never seen anything like the sword of the morning Dude. and so for the first time ever, I will throw the great debate card out in the oh, area. God. Oh, God. Oh, here we throwing go. Throwing it out here Excuse for you ears. guys. Uh. Throwing that up here. So, the reason I want to bring up. Let me go and fill up my little yeah, chalice. You're going to need here. to because you're going to have to drink after this, big boy. Did, oh, good. Good thing yeah. we got the other bottle. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. So, popping bottles in the ice. Like, like a, a blizzard. blizzard. <laughs> Drinking when we do it right. Getting, Getting slizzard. Slipping scissors in my ride. In my ride. Like 3-6. Three, six. And I'm feeling so fly. Uh, like a G6. Like a G6. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Let's so do it. So my debate rises here and falls here. I want to throw up two of... Well, actually, no. I'm going to throw this one now only. So my debate is the greatest swordsman the greatest warrior in the history of Westeros. We're going to throw in Rhaegar Targaryen. Oh, my word. We're going to wow. throw in Barristan Selmy. His nickname was Barristan the Bold. <laughs> we're going to throw in uh, Arthur Dane. Barristan um, Selmy. Man, you're really throwing at we're me gonna on throw, And we're going to throw Jamie Lannister in there as well. Uh, I want to know, for everybody out here, like this is going to be the debate, who was the greatest swordsman that's ever walked in Westeros? I'm literally going to have to pull a research for Barristan Selmy's history for just a minute because he's got so much. So yeah, Barristan Selmy was highly regarded as one of the most skilled swordsmen that ever walked. Like, I mean, remember, remember like in season yeah, one remember, when, right. when Joffrey like banished him from the Kingsguard? He said, the Kingsguard's for life. He's like, you're too old to protect anyone, old man. And Barristan Selmy drew his sword. And like all the king's guard drew their sword, but they were kind of like like nervous. Yeah, and he I said, remember. even I now I could cut through, <laughs> I could carve through a lot of you. Like, like uh, God, Barristan yeah, Selmy was a complete badass too. And even worse is I'm a Jamie fan, so yeah. it's 
So Barris and Selmy, Jamie Lannister, so, uh, Arthur Dane, and um, yeah, so those those four. I wanted to add a fifth in there. I'd, oh, you know what? Let's add. Well, he wasn't really a swordsman. More along the lines that he was just like a warrior. Um, but and the problem. Oh, you know what? Let's let's go Cereal Pharrell. Let's oh, add, let's shit. add him the first sort of bravos. So out of those five, who and why? Are we talking swordsmen or are you talking mm-hmm. also commanders? Well? No, just straight swordsmen. Who's the most skilled swordsman? Like if you were to have like a sword battle and like it was these five, like, you know, in any sort of round robin, however you would do it, like who makes it and who kills who? Okay, I like so that. Let's, let's rank it. Let's, let's kind of go like bracket style, you know, so. I'll rank it yeah. right now. Do it. Yeah. Go. Um, man, I almost need a blank sheet of paper for this shit. <laughs> okay, so let's the contestants one more time. Yep, Barris and Selmy, Arthur Dane, Cyril Farrell, Jamie Lannister, and is that five? Was that was that five or is that that's four? four. That's is four. that right? Uh, so Barris and Jamie, Arthur Dane, and then. Cyril Pharrell. I know there was another one in there that I added for sure. You said Barrison Selmy, Arthur Dane, Cyril Pharrell, Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. I thought I had another one in there. Sort of. Well, we said Arthur, Arthur Dane. Dane right? I thought I had five. You want to think of one real quick? No. Take your time? Uh, that's... I think, I mean, I think those four yeah, those, are I, I, solid, I think it's pretty, though. yeah, it's a good... No, Rhaegar Targaryen. Rhaegar That's right. Yes, uh, that's, that's the other the, one. That's, that's the other one. So that's Rhaegar the fifth one. Rhaegar Targaryen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's one heck of a that's one heck of a ranking. Oh, man, that's a killer, man. That's Dude. worth the great debate card. I'd say that's worth it. Get props on that. So here's, and this is I gotta tell you guys. This is why, and I hate to say this because I don't like to ever use foul language, even though we wind up doing <laughs> Dude, it all the time. <laughs> this is why me and Josh have to know our shit. Yeah, <laughs> because if you don't know this stuff, then there's no way you can rank these guys. Like right. there's just no way. Man. Okay, so here's here's how I would rank this, right? Mm-hmm. Man, and I just went in to hold it. Whole so I'm gonna I'm gonna make radar. my I'm gonna write down my ranking too while you're while you're going into yours. Uh, I almost wanna. Man. Okay, so here's. Here's the issue you're talking about, though, is you're talking about swordsman. You're not talking about conqueror. Right. Straight up, just best sword. And a sword fight, one-on-one, no other weapons but the sword in your hand. So gonna- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rank these first, and then I'm going to back them up by facts for you. Okay. So that way people hear my rankings first, and then they'll understand where I'm coming from. Start five to one. So a number least to greatest, right? Yeah, yep. So on least, man, and this is this is a solid one. Least, and guys, keep in mind when we say least, that it's not like it's like be- there is like, no, there's no loser here. here. You know, there's like Ned you know, like, Stark wouldn't even make the list. No, Ned Stark's nowhere near the list. <laughs> Ned Stark nowhere wouldn't make the list. the list. The Hound wouldn't make the mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. Sir, uh, the Mountain wouldn't make the list. Yeah, no. I'd make, I'd put Oberon Martell on the list. But he's a spear. He, he is a spear. <laughs> yeah. so I, I was thinking about using him. I'd put him, on but the list. he's a swordsman. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and put Barristan Selmy as last. 
And the reason why is because he is more of a Lord Commander. Um, he is more of a commander than a swordsman. You don't know a whole lot of history of him as a swordsman, but he did serve Ares. Bro, literally, what did what's, what did Jorah tell Daenerys the first time he met? Like when they when they met him, like they, they like he said, "That's Barriss and Selmy, one of the best swordsmen in the Seven Kingdoms." Like I and, agree, and that was that. old. That was that, that was like sixty. That, but, yeah, that was sixty year old. Look Barrison. what happened to the damn sons of harpies, dude. When you're fighting twenty nine thousand of them and there's only two uh, people, Grey Worm still survives Bar- barely because he was <laughs> got he got medical because attention in Barrison time. Selmy. And Barriss and Selmy again. He was sixty plus years old. He wasn't in his prime. Grey Worm's in his prime. It's but Here's hey, why. no, you do your rank- okay, right? do your rankings, and I'm gonna, we'll I'm gonna explain. We'll, we'll argue it out. I'm yeah. gonna explain, and don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I think he's a bad swordsman. I'm saying he's last on the list. He's an amazing swordsman, and even ranking him in his prime, he's still more of a Lord Commander. And in the books, guys, he's a little bit more like almost like Dumbledore from Harry Potter. Looks with kind of like um, a big ass beard and long hair, gray hair. Um, but next I would have to rank Cereal Pharrell. And the reason I would rank Cereal Pharrell was because he was ranked, he was known throughout all King's Landing. Even better was he was known as a great teacher, just like he taught Arya. He taught the dance. Here's the catch, though. Just because you can teach the dance doesn't mean you know the other style. Just like how the Hound was saying to Arya, fuck that. I just need a big great sword. Can you really? No armor, yeah. Exactly. So, skill wise, yeah, I get it. But the, dude, you think about that. He took on seven people by himself and only was hacked down because he didn't have a sword. You know what I mean? Like, like the King's Guard, he knocked them all unconscious with a wooden stick outside, exactly, <laughs> outside right. of Marin Trant. Exactly. Like, but know, so, look yeah. what Arthur Dane did. Yeah. Here's oh, my, yeah, that's my argument. Saying, right. Yeah, so I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I've, and I have Sirio Pharrell in the same exact ranking in mind, but no, just go, go through yeah. those years and give me your reasoning. But us. I mean, I got to give Sirio Pharrell the most respect in the world because the dance, you know, it's almost like fighting in a, a Taekwondo tournament. You know how they're, designed to hit their opponent in a line just like we talked about a few episodes ago by tapping and getting points uh through the neck through the head through the side of the ribs but it doesn't mean you go smash them head on now that's the the issue here is so barristan sell me i would rank there goes my notes, guys. <laughs> yeah, he, he um, lost his ranking. Yeah, yeah. Bearson, uh sell me. That's why I would rank him last. Is because he was more of a commander. He was known for Ares. Yes, he was a great swordsman. Also, during this time, we know him. He's old. Um, so then you go into number four. I would say Sirio Pharrell because he invented the dance. But as far as martial arts skills and what he accompanies. Yes, he is the dance, and he is a genius at getting his opponents in a line. He taught Arya how to fight. He is part of Arya's... Literally, without Sirio Pharrell, Arya would not be what she is in the assassin she is currently in our season. Um, but that doesn't mean he can take on the brute strength like the Hound does. It's interesting because... like, like even Arya, I mean, this is Arya's words. Like, you know, like I was trained by the greatest swordsman that ever lived, and the Hound's kind of mocking the greatest swordsman who ever lived didn't have a fucking sword. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like, literally. You see my point, but, right? Uh, um, so then I would back it by 
I would say Rhaegar Targaryen. And Rhaegar Targaryen, you know, he served <laughs> Aegon the Conqueror. Literally, like, he is known as the ultimate conqueror. Not only was he a dragon rider, he was an ultimate swordsman, which is why Aegon literally had the conquest he had all the way down to Aegon the Second, going down into Dance with Dragons, which we talked about, all the way leading up to Maester Aemon when he was just a little kid, right? Well, Ray- Rhaegar was King Eris's son. Right. Eris the Mad King. So, so Mad he wasn't King. around for the Aegon the Conqueror part. Like, he wasn't alive during that. Okay, so Ares, though. Ares. Danny's dad. You yes, see what I'm yeah, saying? Danny's dad. So, here, here's the issue, though, right? Is he was more of, I don't want to say a Kingsguard. You don't know a whole lot of, about him in one on one battle. Uh, and yes, he yeah, was the probably fact, the yeah, greatest. Lost, yeah, he got killed by Robert Baratheon in like single combat. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's. You still have to give him credit because he defended Ares, and Ares comes with that history that is known throughout all of King's Landing. And he was a dragon rider. He was a Targaryen. You can't sit here and deny that. So in the end, well, he never had a dragon. Well, he was a Targaryen, <laughs> he so I'm sitting here he's and a assuming fan, he's a fantastic like he could. Yeah, so I would rank him second, and then number one. Well, you know, you can say I have a a hard on for Jamie, but I still think Jamie Lannister is the best. It, give Jamie Lannister both his hands, both his hands, and he would have Jamie Lannister both his hands. He was known as. The Kingslayer, because people didn't think he was the Kingslayer, because what actually happened, killing the king, people thought he was the Kingslayer because you meet him in one-on-one combat, and no one can match him. So you didn't even rank Arthur Dane. You didn't. Even- oh, <laughs> and Arthur Dane, I would rank one. <laughs> I so, gotta rank one, and there's so. a reason why. So. Let me rephrase this because yeah, we're getting, this is the problem with a freaking great debate card, man. It's on the spot. You don't get a chance to prepare on for it. On the spot. Don't yeah. prepare for this at all. So I would rank last Barristan Selmy because he was more of a commander as far as, you know, basically serving Ares, which was Daenerys Targaryen's dad. Second... I would rank Sirio Pharrell because he invented the swordsman's dance versus, you know, just like the hound said, just give me a great sword. Let me overpower him because he doesn't have both sides of martial arts skills. Even though he's fantastic, you can say he only, you can argue he only has one skill there, but he's just a master at it. Four, I would rank Rhaegar Targaryen. Because he served Ares, he was known as, you know, a master swordsman for Ares, and he lasted so long, people literally just feared him as the Mad King, and you assume he could be a dragon rider because he was a Targaryen. They called him the Last Dragon. They literally, did. literally, that was his nickname. Was the Last Dragon. Yes. And then I would have to rank Jaime Lannister because he is known throughout King's Landing. Because don't forget. He was known as the Kingslayer, but as far as being the Kingslayer, people didn't know him for being the Kingslayer for the real reason he was the Kingslayer. People knew knew him as the Kingslayer for the swordsman he was. Don't forget, he went up against Ned 
Also, he went up against Rob and requested one-on-one combat, and Rob would not fight him in one-on-one combat. People forget that, and we talked this talked about this in previous episodes. And then Sir Arthur, Arthur Dane, and the reason why I would rank him number one. So a lot of people do not know this at all. So did you know the Sword of the Morning, the reason they are actually called the Sword of the Morning is because they believed that throughout the history of you know Westeros and Essos as you have these swords in these you know ancient Valyrian steel and all these you know relics that get handed down the whole point is your heir gets handed that the sword of the morning it was shown that you are only deemed a sword of the morning if your heir does not get that because they don't believe that they are able to fill your shoes as a successor. What does that say? I don't recall anyone that can ever even say that. Actually, it still says, according to my research, that the sword that Arthur Dane had is actually still, it's in the city where it's over at Dorne, is where he's still at. Um, is it the name of the sword called Dawn? Uh, sword of Dawn. No, it's, no, no. Like, 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 this, like, like, like the Sword of the Morning. Its name is like you know how Ned Stark's sword's name is Ice, and like uh, Oathbreaker for like Jamie, or Oathkeeper for Jamie's sword. I think the actual name of uh, Sir Arthur Dane's sword is Dawn. I think it is. I'm yeah. The Sword of Dawn. Not Sword of Dawn. Like because it's the Sword of the Morning is like like that's his nickname, the Sword of the Morning. But his actual sword's name is Dawn. So Sir Arthur Dane is the Sword of the Morning. And his actual swords, like the name of his sword, is Dawn. I'm actually going to look this up, too. Yeah. I still have this here. Actually, I have that. Uh, there is a... I actually have this written down. Um, so, uh, and actually, Joffrey even had a quote about this. So it said, Sir Arthur Dane, Sword of the Morning, defeated Smiling Knight in combat. And then he laughed. Even Joffrey knew about, you know, how famous the Sword of the Morning was. It says, "Yeah, so its this, name is Dawn." Yeah, Sword of yeah. Dawn. I was it's about, not the Sword of Dawn. It's just Dawn. It's just okay. Dawn. Oh, sword of the Morning is yeah. Sword so he's the Sword of the Morning, and then his sword's name is Dawn. Yeah, it, I even have it here. So it was actually the city was called Starfall, but the Starfall city was in Dorne. In Dorne yep. That's what I was trying to look, trying to make sure I had the city name right. But it says the sword was not handed down to his children. Uh, it was controlled. By the Martell House is where it's currently held. Um, Starfall is in the far west area of Dorne, which is near the border of the Reach, which is now controlled by the Martells. But my point is, and actually, you know, they believed it was called Starfall because a meteor hit it years ago, which goes back to Cataclysm, which we talked about a couple episodes ago with Valyria. Um, My point is... It he has to be ranked number one, which not to mention all those guys he took out took out, right? <laughs> because what other house would not hand their family heirloom down if you weren't that great? Which I gotta say, as far as the book goes, the book goes, that's a that's a, actually a little bit of a difference there. Because remember how he dealt two swords? And actually, the show. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as in the book goes, so he doesn't wield two swords. He just wields Dawn, the great yeah. sword of Dawn. 
is described as a pale white blade that glows. Um, so, I mean, it just, my point being is if you weren't that fantastic of a swordsman, you would have never gotten that title. And there's no one in the entire history of A Song of Ice and Fire that has a title like that besides him. Okay. So your ranking is uh, is Barrison Selmy 5, which is an absolute travesty. Number 4, Sirio Farrell. Number 3, Rhaegar Targaryen. Number 2, Jamie Lannister. Number 1, Arthur Dane, right? That is my exact that's your, ranking. That's your ranking. Okay. So... I'm going to do my ranking now. <laughs> You're going to rank old-ass Barristan. And, and it's, a number one old-ass Barristan going to get his wheelchair rocker out. We're talking about Probably all... Killed. Okay, so we're talking about now, then we have to talk about Jamie with one hand then. You know what I'm saying? You can't no, sit here, because, you can't sit here no. and tell me that we've got to do uh, old Barristan. Well, we, have to, we can't... Like, no, we're doing, <laughs> we're doing everyone in their prime. Okay, fine. Everyone in their prime. Like, so I have number five. My fifth ranking is Jamie Lannister. I think he's last. He studied under Barristan Selmy. He even was talking about when in season one when he was in Robert's room and Robert was asking about the first time he killed a man and how he was talking to uh, um, Barristan Selmy. He's like, you, you killed that man with a back arm riposte, one of the best moves I've ever seen. Jamie Lannister was in awe of Barristan Selmy. He was Barristan Selmy's squire. Jamie Lannister was Barristan Selmy's squire, bro. So Jamie Lannister for sure is like the last on this list for me. Um, he's still a fan. Like guys, there's nothing taken away from this. Isn't this isn't a slouch by any means? Like saying someone's the fifth best swordsman ever is not a disrespect at all. Here's so, the question, though: You don't think Jamie Lannister was that Anakin Skywalker kind of guy? No, I, like this because everyone re- like I, I uh, I'll, I'll get to it when I get to the ranking because I want to I want to make sure I get the rankings though. So reason I, I rank him is because he literally like learned everything he knew sword fighting from Barris and something like he was his squire. He he like prepared him for battle. And so that so for that reason he gets my he gets my number 5 vote. And he didn't he wasn't whole long enough. Jamie Lannister if he had cut both his hands through all of this sword and ice and fire like maybe he could have done some really amazing things. We don't know. But I'm going to give him the fifth ranking. And then number four, I'm also going to go Serio Pharrell. Number one, because we don't know a lot about him, right? He's a teacher. He was the key. was a first sort of Bravos, and people think that's a big title. But it, it, keep in mind, I said a first sword of Bravos, not the first sword of Bravos. There's many other first swords of Bravos. So meaning it's a it's a uh, realistically attainable title. And if you are the best swordsman, you can't have something that many. You can't have a title that other people can also have. So for that reason, he hit. He's he hits my fourth spot because there's no doubt in my mind he's a skilled swordsman. He legitimately like knocked five or six people down with a stick while they had full armor and a sword, <laughs> and he finally had his sword, his like stick sword, broken by Marin Trant. So he gets my number four spot. Number three spot, I also have Rhaegar Targaryen in my number three spot. Uh, he, number the reason I can't give him number one is he lost in single combat to Robert Baratheon's Warhammer, uh, and he also lost to keep in mind like Barristan Selma didn't want to tell uh, um, Danny this, but they they fought each other Rhaegar Targaryen Barristan Selmy and Barristan Selmy won that tournament. Which that's so, really funny you said that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to interrupt you, but I do want to say we'll actually go into that later in the season because there's a part where I have a part of Rhaegar's history but yes he actually approached 
um, Robert Baratheon on a white stallion, and Robert Baratheon hit him with the hammer, and the jewels went everywhere. Yeah. Yep. And so, so uh, the reason I can't rank Rhaegar any higher than third is because uh, he lost in a single combat tournament to Varys and Selmy. Like Varys and Selmy out out dueled him, and so uh, number two. My spot number two is Barris and Selmy because he's widely regarded as one of the best swordsmen that ever lived by everyone. Jamie Lannister, uh, Jorah Mormont. Old, 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 old. <laughs> jo- j- again, we're going by Prime. Uh, Jor- Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. <laughs> so Jorah Mormont, he said the same thing. He's like, that's Barris and Selmy, one of the finest swordsmen in the history of the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, so, I, but again, there's no doubt in my mind, I don't think there can be any doubt in anyone's mind that Sir Arthur Dane is the best swordsman that ever walked in the grace of Westeros. He, like, outside of how he was portrayed in that battle, like you said, he only had one sword. It was Dawn, and he had the nickname, the Sword of the Morning. He brought he brought the Dawn to people. Like, you know, he he was the the finest swordsman that ever walked. Like this guy, when you like you when you went up to face him, like you like you just planned your funeral. Basically, a hundred percent is exactly what happens. Like, like that's why they they what's his name Gerald Hightower. When we're in that little area where we're gonna get back to here in a second, once this debate's over, he literally says, you know, when they're like, we were looking for you on the trident, he goes like, well, lucky for you, but we weren't there. Because like if 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 Arthur Dane and Gerald Hightower were there, likely that battle goes a different way. Um, but the thing is, Rhaegar Targaryen wanted Arthur Dane protecting Lyanna. He wanted his best swordsman protecting that person. So, of all those people in that time area, they they had like Tar- Rhaegar Targaryen had Barriss and Selmy at his disposal. Rhaegar Targaryen had himself. He chose the best swordsman to protect Lyanna, and he chose Arthur Dane. I gotta, man, I gotta kind of agree with you on part of that. Part of that. <laughs> Barris and Zelmy, though, that's the part that gets me. But I got to say, regard Targaryen, you're right, because what I was saying, you know, Rhaegar Targaryen was definitely more of a military genius. Um, I mean, think about it. He, he basically held the entire house for a long time. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until Robert's Rebellion, which... You know, we'll get more into the summary episode on what happened there. That it kind of started to fall apart, and even to that point, he was the uh, kind of the breakdown on him was he was a little bit like John, which we'll talk about <laughs> later. Like, why the why the f are you running at Robert dead on with a white stallion? Like, why are you on the front lines? Please explain. Yeah. Please explain. Ooh, they want you to watch. <laughs> yeah. So that'll wrap up our great my my great debate card that is out there. The, so that should just burn. Throw it over there. Burn. <laughs> so uh, that's it. So my my final list goes as such: Jamie Lannister five, Ciro Frell four, Rhaegar Targaryen three, Barriss and Selmy two, Arthur Dane one. We want to hear your guys' opinions as well. So please, when you hit, when you uh, review this next episode. Throw in your uh, your five uh, best swordsmen of Westeros. And maybe there's some that people are going to throw in that we didn't think of. So I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, comment on our Instagram. Comment on our Facebook. You know, YouTube, we got ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. You, you can put a comment and a follow there. But um, I got to say, Josh, you get made some uh, made some badass points. And, you know, I'm the history guy here. So, it, 
man, you've been on your game today. Oh, fire! <laughs> been on your game today. Can't Burning bring the down game the face, boys. Burning down the house. <laughs> there I go, dropping my notes. Yeah, about to burn down the whole, the whole set here. Burning Chase. down the whole set. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's get back into uh, where we're at here with with let's season six. We're it. still in episode three. Um, you know, we go back to the three eyed raven. So they like all that fight happens. Um, you know, Ned Stark starts running up the stairs, and that's when you know Bran like uh, is, like shouts out, you know, father, like, and then. He turns around, so he hears something, and then uh, the Three-Eyed Raven takes him back. And he says, listen, like, you must learn. And, and Bran says, learn what? And the Three-Eyed Raven says, everything. Like, he, like, he doesn't understand. Like, like what he, Bran is still kind of young. He doesn't really understand the kind of responsibility that like, the Three-Eyed Raven is trying to bestow upon him. It's not about changing the past. It's not about seeing how things unfolded. It's learning what like what how everything went down so that way you've got the knowledge and knowledge is the power to help everyone in this great war to come so from there we get into uh danny we're back to daenerys she arrives in vast dothrak and she's get taken to the temple of the doshkaleen and the leader of the doshkaleen was actually there when Danny ate the horse's heart back in season one. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool, man. Yeah, that was really bad. She's like, I saw you eat the stallion's heart. Like, yeah, oh, that man. That was badass. Yeah. Um, so what she was basically telling her is that all the all Kalasars. So there's there's many Kalasars. And the, like the Dothraki as a nation, you know, there's a call and they're Kalasar. So each, like, depending on your strength or whatever, each... Oh, um, sorry. They're fine. Uh, each Kalasar can have upwards of like 10,000... <laughs> Like you know, for example, Cal Drogo had a had a um, Kalasar of ten thousand. Well, the the this for what this is called the Kalar Vez, Vezven. The Kalar Vezven is when all the Kals meet together in the Temple of Doshkalin, and each one they basically decide what villages they're going to raid, what people they're going to make into slaves. Like uh, they they kind of have a con- it's almost like a congregation. Uh, for them of like the next plans and so when they're all together there's about a horde of a hundred thousand dothraki a hundred thousand so that means that there's probably what ten great call like ten great calls and each call has a, uh, a kalasar of ten thousand like um yeah you know, behind them so that that's um they decide what cities to sack which tribes to enslave and now they also have to decide what's going to happen to danny and according to the leader, like the, I said, the leader, but the oldest of the, the Dushkaleen, it's like the best you can hope for is that you're allowed to stay with us. Like, and that's at best. And Danny's like, well, I thought that all Khaleesi like, are to stay here with that. And like, yes, immediately after their call dies, you've yeah. been out in the world and you're like basically unpure. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, then she's brought over to Cal Sovo and... Cal Sovo, I gotta say, is not even in the books, so I don't know if they pulled that out of their ass. Wait, so like, well, she's like, she hasn't been taken to Cal. No, you call talking about Cal Moro. Cal Moro. Cal Moro. Yeah, yeah. give messing so up names of here. They haven't. Like, Cal Moro. Yeah, the, so she's still in the temple, like, like, like there. She like they haven't come yet. This the next part that happens is when like they the that Dario and Jora. They they try to enter the um, okay yeah so yeah and not I quite see there yeah saying. so yeah so he know, jumped a little bit just gotcha. a little bit not too far um but so basic oh shoot what did I do I I pulled the whole thing here yep of course I did so we're looking at it from this point right right so hold on one second there uh, we go yep 
Uh, so yes. So you gotta decide. They gotta decide what's gonna happen to Daenerys. Vesto she can over become a Dosh Colleen. And then it, it takes us back. Actually, instead of uh, Dario and Jorah, they were not actually there yet. I accidentally skipped a page in my notes, guys. My apologies. So uh, <laughs> we even get a little bit yeah, ahead of ourselves. We get a little bit ahead sometimes. So she was ready. <laughs> so, so this actually comes we back to, to Marine. Uh, Lord Varys is in. We get. Well, this is the first time we get to see Lord Varys like use his abilities to get information out of people, and it's super super interesting. We we never got to see Lord Varys interrogate anyone before, and like the methods that he uses. And so it's weird because he, he, he like basically what he tells her is like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to see things the best I can from your perspective. And I want you to see things from my perspective, mm-hmm. you know. So he starts interrogating Vala and he like name drops his son, like her son Dom's name. You know, like I want like a good life for you and Dom. She's like, oh, like, you know, so you're, you're some great liberator threatening children. He's like, oh, no, children are blameless. But you committed treason against the queen of the city and you know that the punishment for that is death. So like, how, what kind of life do you think your son's going to have if you die? And she's like, well, if I betray them, they kill me. And if I they don't tell on you, you're going to kill me. So what's the difference? And Varys is like, well, for you, I can see, like, you know, from your perspective, that can be a problem. Now, for me, this is what I'm willing to do. He gives her a huge bag of silver, books passage in a cabin for her and her son to go to Pentos. If, if, she, if he gives him all the information. And so basically it was an easy choice like she like so we go so while he's like doing that um we learn like so Varys is telling he, he like Varys gets the information goes up tells Tyrion Missandei and Grey Room that the the sons of the harpy this is what this is the shocker here right so it's not the shocker the first two aren't the shocker it's the third one that is a shocker they are funded by the good masters of Astapor the wise masters of Yunkai with help from their friends in Volantis. Guys, remember when's the last time you heard the name Volantis? That's where Rob Stark's wife Talissa came from. From Volantis. So it's really yeah. it's really interesting there. And again, yes, she didn't exist in the books. Um Talissa didn't, but we haven't heard Volantis in the longest time. It's always been about Valyria, it's been about, you know, Marine, Asapor, Yunkow. We had now all of a sudden Volantis is helping fund the sons of the harpy to basically destroy the rule yeah. that Danny built. Oh, of course. Uh, I want to go into a quick synopsis here because we don't talk about Varys, Varys very much. Yeah. Um, quick history on him because I don't think he gets the respect he deserves. So, first of all, he was born into the nine free cities of Essos. Um, he was actually, of course, he's a bald motherfucker. He was actually regarded when he was first born as one of the most handsome people around. Uh, and then he grew up and just kind of like Krillin from Dragon Ball Z. Just <laughs> didn't look as good as possible. Uh, but he was actually enslaved um, in a apprentice from the troop of Murmurs. Who uh, Murmurs, we'll find out, you know, we'll ki- it'll kind of be related later with what happens with Arya. They're basically a group of entertainers that yes. worked in King's Landing. Um, but basically bought him uh, because he saw potential in him and paid like a very large sound, uh, large surmount of money for him. Um, but uh, basically he was abused. Um, his owner made him drink over and over different deadly magic potions, um, which were basically insurmountable. Uh, the amount that, you know, a normal person can never withstand uh that was basically poison is basically what it was almost like how jack and nagar uh drank the poison 
Um, but uh, so what happened? Because I know you guys are always wondering, just like how Varys is always talking about how you know he's not attracted to the opposite sex or any sex, at all. right? He's yeah. One thing too, I want to I want to quickly point out is I I believe that Varys's um his experience as like an entertainer actor plays a big role in how he's so good at like like his Winning his job his job as a as a what's the master of whispers right like he can he like he dresses up in disguises a lot in the books and like obviously how can you like how do you know you can to do that convincingly is you get paid like that's what you do as an actor like you you put on the persona of somebody else he i think that helps him so much in his his job and winning the trust of people because they don't know who they're talking to exactly <laughs> and um so basically what would happen is uh, he was consumed by so much poison. He was basically intoxicated like a drunk. Um, he did kind of have that bloodline, so he could almost withstand poison, but they fed him so much. He was completely obliterated. They actually even had to perform blood magic on him, which required rituals just like Melisandre did, where they would actually sacrifice people um, just so that he couldn't move, so that he was basically uh, withstandable. At this well, point. keep keep in mind that he was sold to a sorcerer. Like they, 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 the sorcerer bought him from the entertainers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good call. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's that's dead on. Um, but basically, from there, he was tossed on the streets, uh, where, you know, the sorcerer, like you were saying, had no further use for him after he cut off his bits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> how he become a eunuch him and Grey Worm have something in common and Theon Greyjoy unlike Ramsey <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah he, he actually wound up which is very funny this is very ironic here uh, because according to his history he actually wound up resulting to prostitution because he was so basically down for the count didn't have any money didn't have anything Prost- at that point prostitution he was a pickpocket like he yeah he's like you're dead on dead on uh yeah uh became a thief for um buyers that would actually buy him at that point so he would actually steal things for them so that they can make money and pawn it um and then at that point you know this is where he kind of starts to build his reputation uh so aries hears of Varys, which aries keep in mind for all our listeners and viewers Ares is Danny's dad, uh, the Mad King. I know a lot of people confuse him with Aegon. Aegon actually established the whole Targaryen age. Ares is Danny's 300 dad. years before where we are at right exactly. now in the Song of Ice and Fire. Right. Um, but he heard about his reputation as, you know, being able to persuade people and steal from people. And he made him. Um, basically almost like a watcher like his job was to point out traitors uh, that like you know how he always claims the quotes my little birds will mm-hmm. be watching to watch over the king to make sure no one's ever going to betray the king, yeah, king plotting against anyone yeah exactly um, and basically from here uh, from there he actually was one of the first to establish which we'll talk about in season 8 a little bit a lot of the passageways and the red keep for the escapes, which we talked about a little bit mm-hmm. in season four yep. for when, you know, Tyrion, Tyrion escaped. Um, and then he became a councilman after Ares. The first was gone. Ares. The second 
he became his councilman and then it led into robert's rebellion when all that happened and let's put it this way robert heard of his reputation so much uh, robert actually made him pardon him for supporting aries and made him what was called quote unquote the title his personal master of whispers master of whispers they also like he was like another title that he had that was not official they called him the spider because it's like he was able to like like sit on a wall in a room and you wouldn't even know he's there. right so it, it's just like really interesting but no that was like, that was a good little backstory on, almost on like Paris. a cia agent kind yeah of. just like you know just like you know like a fly on a wall he was a spider so yeah i mean you just never hear about varies very much that was good stuff um you know now you know now the, this is a good transition to where it goes next because who took over Varys's position over King's Landing? Kyburn. He's in King's Landing and he's using Varys's old birds as his own. And so like basically like they, they it's really funny because they say they even miss Lord Varys because he gave him sweets and then Kyburn kind of like uh, um, dangles like the candied plums in front of them. Uh, so now that like they kind of like him too and he's like you know anytime you guys want sweets just come see me. I'll ask for in return our whispers right. And so uh, he like Cersei comes down and she goes, uh, you know, are these Varys' little birds? And he goes, your little birds, no, your grace. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And you know, we learn at that point in time that Cersei, like, she's planning, she still has that trial coming up to like see if she's gonna be guilty of her sins of, um, you know, betting Jamie again in the book. This difference mainly from Ned's murder, but um, she plans to invoke trial by combat. And uh, she tells that she tells Kyburn she wants those birds. And everywhere, every inch of the kingdom, in Dorne, the north, anywhere. She wants to know who's all plotting against her, who's laughing at her behind her back. Like, she's straight up, like, she is getting obsessive with her own reputation. She wants to make sure that she is feared and respected, and that just because Tywin Lannister's gone, their house isn't a joke. Um, yeah, so. And I think you made a great point on that, because keep in mind, for everyone watching and everyone listening, you know, this was almost like Cersei's... She was putting all her eggs in one basket at this point. Mm -hmm. She was hoping this was going to be her stand against the High Scepter. This was going to be her stand against the High Sparrow. Um, what she was going to do here was basically exactly what Tyrion did to Tywin at this point. Yeah. Um, so, now we, we go back to like where Cersei and Jaime are there with them and... and uh, like Cersei and Jimmy and with uh, Sir Gregor, they crashed the small council meeting. And what I thought was really funny about this is that they basically, like, okay, another thing, I'm going to bring this up. No one ever, 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 like, I know in the books it's, it's this, but, like, we in this show we never got any sort of confirmation until I saw it on his chest. I don't know if you guys even noticed this. Kevin Lannister was now Hand of the King. Kevin Lannister had the Hand of the King badge on his breast thing, he was like, who, when was that named? When did Tommen tell, you know, tell Kevin Lannister, you are now the hand of the king? That's what I want to know. Because it wasn't the master of, because like, the thing is that she wanted to name him master of war. And he refused her and said, well, when the king needs me, he can call on me, not you. I don't recognize your authority. And so now they walk in the room and I paused it right on this. Kevin Lannister has the hand of the king badge on his chest. So I want to know when that election, like when that appointment happened and how we didn't, see anything about it but yeah anyways uh they they basically they they walk out on them they like you know like listen like you know is not the lord commander of the king's guard have a place in the small council meeting and 
you know, Grand Maester Pycelle's ass is flapping in the wind trying to say yes, but, uh, you know, <laughs> King Robert felt differently. So they all, like, sit down, and they're like, well, yeah, we can't force you to leave, but you can't force us to stay. And they, they walk out. How disrespectful is that? They just, like, walked out on Cersei like she was trash. Yeah, I mean, she's like, and like, like she had like the little like war of words with Olenna. She's like, you were stripped of your dignity. You were beaten and walked naked through the thing. You have no, like, like you are nothing here. Like it was so sad. Yeah, uh, she's basically lost. Cersei at this point, think about it. If you were even just some person, you know, watching your entire government council on the news, right? You know, imagine seeing your leader walk naked on the news that's basically what just happened do you think you're gonna have respect for him no you're gonna think of him as a playboy bunny or a prostitute which i love the playboy bunny oh boy <laughs> yeah big so, dirty uh, let's get a little mally in the chalice. a little right, malice in the chalice baby yeah move uh, in the club and shake my stuff Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> what what I want to bring up next to, and I have questions about this, right? So here here we've got Tommen who's trying to strong arm the high sparrow. He goes there with like a retinue of people and like he's like I demand like I like I uh I want my mother to be able to like see uh her daughter's crypt. And like the high sparrow like talks him down. Like they get Will had and like so like he goes back he like the high sparrow pushes back his men and basically he like he like Hey, hey, Tommen, are you gonna are you gonna talk to me like man, man? Let you guys back up too. So Tommen like calls his guards off. Like basically, the the High Sparrow is playing Tommen as in like, oh, you know, you're in charge here, but really he's not. Like, like he's like he's like, yeah, no, like it means a great deal to me. He's like, I'm the king. He's like, you are the king. He's like, what does that mean to you? It means a great deal. And then like he starts talking and like you know, basically still showing that like Tommen doesn't know how to play the game yet. And what I wanted to ask and what I want to talk about is what would the difference be? Like what would Joffrey have done? Bro, Joffrey would have killed that guy the minute he did anything to annoy him. Joffrey was ruthless, and he was, like, but the thing is, he took no shit from anybody. Like, his own mother was telling him not, like, you know, to, like, make sure you give, you know, Ned Mercy, let him live out his life on his wall. Joffrey's like, no, fuck that. Your head's coming off, buddy. Like, like yeah. I don't, like, Joffrey was the, like, like had his, like, he has all the faults in the world. He's, like, one of the most despised characters I've ever seen on the screen. But the thing is, is that he would not have been, like, bullied and, like, strong-armed by this high sparrow. This, like, straight yeah. up Joffrey would have been like, okay, cool, you're going to die and all your people are going to die. And so we're going to go ahead and do this now and get it over with. Like, it was, like that's the wildest thing. So, yeah. I play the great debate card. Ooh, he threw it out. He <laughs> yes. threw it out there. I'm throwing it out. You want to put that bad boy oh, on up I'll there? I'll put it on <clears throat> up there. But, uh, I summon the great debate. All right. Oh, so yeah. what are we what's the debate? So here's my great debate. Take Tommen out of the equation. Put Joffrey in the equation. Uh-huh. Who wins in this situation? Is it the High Sparrow and the Faith Militia or is it Joffrey because he has he doesn't give a shit, and he literally comes to his conclusion right away. So straight up, it would have been Joffrey, and this is why I say that. <clears throat> the Faith Militant only had a certain number of sparrows. Joffrey had his King's Guard 
and the gold cloaks at his disposal. Joffrey would have been like, no, you guys kill every one of these five. I don't care how many people I lose. It doesn't matter. They're all going to die. So, like, I think he would just order them all to kill him. I straight up think that <clears throat> Joffrey would have won that interaction. Well, not based on, like, his smarts or anything. That He just wouldn't have put up with it. Like, no, like, dude, he, he didn't want anyone to tell him what to do. The only one that could actually tell him what to do and he listened was Lord Tywin. He's the only one that he seemed to like have any sort of respect for, and even that he did, like he disrespected him. Remember, he's like you were hiding at Casterly Rock while my father was winning the like the thing, right? So uh, I think that Joffrey would have just had everyone killed. And I think I I think that you're nuts. Oh, I think that you're wrong. <laughs> Tell me what. Here's why. Mm. You know what? Let's get a little malice in the chalice before we get started, because this is going to be a little little opposing concept here. Let's see what you got. Middle opposite. Now go, that we're about halfway through the episode. About this one. Go ahead, tell Here's us. my issue. That's like saying the president's going to overtake the mafia. It would never happen. You have the faith militia. Notice I'm not saying militant anymore because someone well, militant, got... Militant's the right word. Yeah, it's militant's militant. the right word. Okay, faith militant. Yeah. yeah. I used to use that often, but now I'm using militia, so it sounds correct for you guys. Uh, but here's not, my but it's not correct it's but militant it's, but it oh now i'm doing <laughs> it backwards it's militant. <laughs> <laughs> here's my point is you can't take over something you can't see joffrey would have been in the authority he was not pulling the strings tywin lannister always pulled the strings i think if he went up against the high sparrow and the faith militant I'm going to, yeah, militant for you guys. <laughs> if he went up against the faith militant, he wouldn't know what he was dealing with because the high sparrow was pulling all the strings in this situation and he had no idea who was within that entire faith militant. Then here's my, my rebuttal to that. Once you kill the high sparrow, who takes his place and does his job as well? Well, you can argue maybe Cersei's cousin does. Lancel? Lancel had like like he was just he was an order follower. He had no sense of like commander leadership. I mean, the point is you have no but idea. Who my would. my point is is like listen, like I think th- th- it's just this. I think they would have killed everyone to a man. Like they like they literally would have just eradicated it. Maybe some sparrow survived. Almost like the sons of harpy, you kill as many as you can, but sometimes like some fall through the cracks. Cool, but he they, there would never be another leader that could that could manipulate like the minds of the people the way that this high sparrow could. They just didn't have the experience. This the, the faith militant was something that was newly formed. It was something that was brand new, and you need someone that's able to to pick up where he left off. And I don't see anyone in the faith militant that would have been able to do that. So right. But I just think that, they, like if you kill every single one of them, like you find every single one and he's just like, I want anyone that has that stupid star scraped into their for- fucking forehead. I want them fucking dead. That's it. But that's my, exactly my point. My point is Joffrey was way too over his head to know what he was dealing with. Half the time he was just doing what he would do to be a complete tool Right, but like if so if he was gonna go ahead and um, murder like everybody, like how do you stop that? You know what I mean? Like like what are you gonna do? Like like where like he does that and then what? You know what I mean? Yeah, for those of y'all on the camera, I just knocked over the wine glass. I thought you find that pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. So I just I just think that at, at the end of the day, you know, if you can't have uh, any sort of entity or or, or uh, group like the faith militant if there's no one there <laughs> like and you don't have you don't have a leader and there's no one there 
Like, what are you going to do? So, <laughs> Knocked it over twice. I but, thought you guys um, should know that. Yeah, no. So I think that, I mean, that's, I want to hear what you guys want to think about that as well. I think that's a pretty good one. Um, but I well, just think, you know, you kill it. Like they just, you just kill everyone to, to a single person. You nah. eradicate it like, like, like a termite, like a termite infestation. That's my issue though, right? Is no, because it takes brains to run a country and Joffrey had no brains. Joffrey was literally that guy who yeah, let's go ahead just go ahead and grab some napkins brother there we go yeah go ahead and grab like some napkins though but, but here's my thing like while again that like my biggest thing here bro is that it's not about the brains or really anything it it's a fact like if there's no one there to, to do anything there's nothing there's no problem it's just it's gone right so very very similarly to you know like I like I said, almost like a uh, infestation of bugs. How do you kill the infestation of bugs? You make sure there's no more bugs. There's nothing to do with being smart about anything. If the high sparrow's dead and all of his little sparrows are dead too, you've got no issue because there's no one there to give you a hard time in that situation. Right. So. Uh, I mean, I still have to completely disagree because. And that's why I'm excited to hear like the thoughts of the people and see what they think about this one here. Because I think this is one of the four times like we just fully disagree with each other. Because I just I don't see how because. you can have a certain. But we can't beat this topic to death because you know what I mean. We we we're at an hour and fifteen and we're not even through our first episode yet. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, um, we move in the club and we shake our stuff. But my point is. Uh, where I yeah I think this is the first time we've actually completely disagreed um, as far as where that card with it I have no idea oh it's, in, it's in the book oh it's in the book um, yeah for our listeners out there guess what I you know how I always use my hands <laughs> well guess what Chase just knocked over the wine glass for the first time in the season um, <laughs> it won't be the last I'm sure but my point is, is the High Sparrow is way too smart for Joffrey. So if I, he's dead, what's he gonna do? <laughs> you can't, you can't be smart and dead at the same time. You either one or the other. But how do you know Cersei would have killed him? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Cersei. I'm talking the fact that as a king, you have the you have the final order. Just like when Ned Stark got his head taken off, Cersei telling him like, no, like like make sure you make sure he can stay out his life on the wall. And Cersei was trying to get him to stop, and Joffrey's like, bring me his head. And they did. <laughs> what the king says, you do. So it had nothing to do with that. If, jo- if Joffrey wanted him dead, he would be dead. Yeah, but my argument is, you know, just because you have the gold cloaks doesn't mean they can outnumber the faith militia. Look at Jamie. That's what I'm saying. Later like, on, the, which we'll find. There was, but there, well, the gold cloaks and the king's guard far outnumbered because there's 2,000 the gold cloaks. They far outnumber all the sparrows. There's like 500 sparrows. It's like not even a close like amount. So that's the only thing I'm saying. I just there's, there's just you, you can't only do so much if you're dead. <laughs> that's all. Right. Yeah. But anyways, let's let's jump in a little bit more farther down to where we were here. Um. We're at now. We're back with Arya in the house in black and white, and she's still training blind against the waif. But now, it's more of a contest. Yes, she's still getting her ass kicked at the end of the day, but it's more of a contest now, and it's at least like a battle. Um, that she like she's not really attacking and winning any sort of like exchanges, but she's not getting hit as much. She's not like straight up getting her butt kicked, right? So, uh, we learned that. 
uh, Arya actually had taken the Hound off her list because she was starting to go through like that that game of many faces with Jack and the, or with um the Wave, and you know uh, she's like what <laughs> she's like that's an awfully small list, and that's something too that was. Well, I, I don't understand that because her list was super, super long, and she only said like four names. Which I gotta go into this a little bit. So, as far as in the books, right? Walter Frey is never actually on her list in the books. Um, that's just something that was there for the show. Which she does go through her entire list at this point, and you're probably gonna hate me for this uh, because. <laughs> They start playing the game of faces, and she names all her brothers at one point. So she says, John, Bran, and Recon. How and, many brothers? And Rob. Don't forget Rob. She named him And all. Rob. Yeah. She's, yep, she's talked about all her... She, like, she got slapped because she named John as one of her brothers. Right. So my point was, <clears throat> you take Rob, Bran, and Recon, the three blood brothers, mm-hmm. and you take John, who's basically a half-brother, right? Yep. You subtract John, what does that give you? <coughs> Rob, Brandon, and Recon? The symbolism of three. Dude, symbolism you, of three. You straight like I hate when you do that because you can straight up take any number from anything and you subtract it. Well, yes. if you take 17 minus, uh, you know, what fucking 14, symbolism you of three, get three. Symbolism of three. Like, but, uh, yeah. No, so yeah, she's, you're just gonna ignore like Sansa, like she didn't exist as part of her siblings. So, like, uh, yeah, I was, I thought we were talking about the brothers. We're, we're not. We're talking about her siblings. Are we talking about the brothers was, or the no, siblings? We were talking about her siblings. I could have sworn we were talking about the brothers. No, you were talking about her brothers, <laughs> but the actual in the show was talking about her siblings. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So that was a bit of a stretch. But he says, you know, the waif asks her over and over, "Who are you? Uh, no one. Who were you before you came here?" And then she says, Arya Stark. Mm. So she clearly hasn't passed the test at this point. Yes, like, it's clear that it is clear that she still is, she's not no one, right? Um, But yeah, but the thing is, like, her list was so long, and not many people were taken off of it. So, like, one of the ones, it it drives me nuts, because in this show, doesn't get brought up at all, is Sir Illyn Payne. Sir Illyn Payne is the one that took her dad's head off, and that was one of the biggest ones that was on her list. Yeah, like, that like, uh, I'm really surprised they never even brought that up at never all. Never again. Like that's like that's at the all. biggest things that we've got issues with. Good job, games. wise. Yeah. Good job, Benninghoff. You really, you really hit that shit out yeah, of yeah. Like they just there's something. Get in your that, kennel, Reek. You <laughs> smell like shit. It's, that was very frustrating. Is that you know these things happen where, um, they they just bring things out and then they leave them like that. So like, who else was on her list as well? She she had Sir Ellen Payne. She had Joffrey, she had Cersei, she had Walder Frey, uh, she had Marin Trant, she had, um, what's his name, Polliver, she had, the, like, you know, like, so there was so many people on it, and, like, she, like, only named, like, four, like, when she was asked, and that's why the way like, that's a short list, and, like, we all were kind of seeing where it was going, like, she was, basically, the Waif was trying to goad her into saying that, like, the Waif is now on her list, too. Which... Like, I gotta say at this point, damn, I already used my great debate card. Don't you think she would have been badass if she had turned into like a daredevil type superhero? Oh, well, with like like staying blind? Yeah, like staying blind. Wouldn't that have been badass though? I would have liked that. Like, could you imagine if she finished her list and she was just like completely blind at that point? Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Pretty sick, right? Um, Yeah, so 
Uh, she ends up drinking that water, and she is blind no more. Jack Nagar is like, you know, hey, if, you, if a girl is no one, she's got nothing to fear, right? And so she drinks that water. And keep in mind at this point, she starts to fight back on the wave. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like she was just taking it at this point. Like, over and over, the wave has hit her, and she was literally fighting back. Um, like, this is when you really start to feel confidence in Arya, and you're like, damn, she is becoming... You know, all this training she's done is starting to pay off at this point. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so that she drinks that water. She's no longer blind, which is cool because she was like kind of doing the, all these things while she was blind. She was learning the sense of different poisons that she was putting together in, like, the House of Black and White. Like, she was, like, smelling him. And, like, so Jack and Hagar was, like, behind her seeing her do this. And so finally, that yeah, she drinks that water, and she's back to full Aria. She gets got her eyesight back. Which, it makes me wonder, right? Do you feel bad for the waif? And before you start to say no, think of it this from this perspective. Do you think Jack and Nagar ever had confidence in the waif? Or do you think he always had his confidence in Arya? Do you think he always thought Arya was going to be the faceless woman that he always thought she would be and the waif would always be just a piece of the faceless men. Dude, I don't know, man. Like, because at the end of the day, like, he did tell the wave to kill her, like, shame, the girl had so much potential. So I don't think, like, he ever, uh, um, disrespected the wave in terms of, like, hey, like, you're not who I really want. I think he wanted to get Arya to the level of her. Because, like, it was already clear that the wave wasn't, like, was his technical, quote unquote, she was no one, right? Like, she's, like, he wanted Arya to be just like her more than that. And I think, that's why he pushed so hard to like with the training and stuff. I don't think that because like with, like what we were talking about last time with the faceless men. Like there's no personal gain with being a faceless man. Like like the red god deserve like needs a name. You go take that name. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You, like you know he deserves like a life. You take that life. Which here's so, a I don't quick know. point. Think of it this way, right? So in the books, Jack and Nagar is described as almost being just like the Grim Reaper. Like he has the face of a skull. Yeah. He is basically described as complete death. So, basically at this point, to put at it critically and abstractly, I would say, Arya is basically looking at it as almost like Final Destination. I'm putting it in death's hands at this point. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, like I said, like I don't know if it was more like you know he just wanted he. Like, I don't think it's like Arya was everything that he wished the wife was or anything like that. It's like I think it was more of I need to get Arya to this level because that's what a true faceless man is. Yes. Which I I gotta say real quick before we move on to the next topic, um, Macy Williams did a badass job at playing she did. Arya. She really did. Like I like I couldn't really picture anyone else as as like an Arya figure. I think she did a great job of portraying the role which i gotta say i don't know anything else she's done me neither i'm sure there's stuff we can find on imbd but uh (laughs) yeah no that's let's let's, it's like netflix yeah let's jump into uh the down back where uh in in winterfell where uh small john umber he miss he meets with ramsey and you know what i found amazing about this is he was straight up rude and disrespectful to ramsey he didn't give a shit which was kind of badass if you really realize like the kind of fear ramsey laid into people Small John Umber didn't care. He's rude and disrespectful. <laughs> doesn't take Ramsey shit. Calls Roose Button both in a cunt. He's like, he's like, your father was a cunt. Like right to R- Ramsey's face. 
Yeah. He's like, he's like, he's a cunt. That's why you kill them. He's, he's, he's like, yeah, Lord Bolton was... Uh, you bring up a really good point, though, because thinking about how much of a Joker character Ramsey is, think of how psychotic you got to be to stand up to him. Bro, he didn't care. Like, he's like, nah, dude, I'm, I, he walked in there, you know, BDE, right? Big dick energy. He didn't give a shit. Like, he was like, like, I, like, I don't, I'm not, he's like, that, that's even a little bit later on. He, Ramsey tells him, you know, I pledge your banners to House Bolton and swear loyalty to me as Warden of the North. And Lord Umber's like, I'm not kissing your fucking hand. And Ramsey's like, well, it's customary to kneel. And Lord Umber's like, I'm not doing that either. And then Ramsey goes, well, <laughs> why would I trust someone who does not follow tradition? And he got Lord Umber goes, well, Bruce, Bruce Bolton followed tradition and didn't stop him from putting a, a knife in Rob Stark's heart. He knelt to, you know, he knelt to the King of the North. So, uh, fuck kneeling and fuck oaths. Lord Umber said as he tells Ramsey he has a gift gift for him, and that gift Lord Umber brings out, uh, Small John Umber brings out, is uh, Osha and Recon, the wildling who's taking care of Recon and Recon himself. And so Ramsey's like, well, how do I know this is Recon Stark? And uh, he grabbed Shaggy Dog's severed head and threw it on the table in front of Ramsey. Ooh, Shaggy, Shaggy, Ruby. Yeah, dude. He and the craziest thing here is this is like like so like Small John Number is kind of off the hook at this part. <laughs> Shaggy's yeah. Shaggy Dog is was Shaggy. the Dire Wolf, by the way, guys. If you didn't know, Shaggy Wolf, uh, Shaggy Dog was the Dire Wolf. Shag me, but uh, anyways, Ramsey to get back on topic here was uh, like he goes, he gets back to his true form of like that like villain character because when he realizes that it's Recon Stark, <laughs> yeah. he looks Ramsey. at him and like kind of like does like a shake back. He, he puts his head down. He's like, "Welcome home, Lord Stark." Like I thought that was a badass quote there. So that was great. Um, he he like you know I'll, you all know that this is gonna because right now realistically guess what Bran is a cripple and he's like miles away above the, like the wall. Rob Stark's dead. There's no one else that is a true born son of Ned Stark who is the real warden of the North. So there's no one really that's a threat to his thing because Jon Snow's a bastard at you know he's got no pure blood like claim to it. Sansa's been married to a Lannister and a Bolton at this point, so like her claim is going to be tenuous. The only one that could really, really unite this is Recon because he's the last true-born son of Ned Stark, and so you know that he's fucked. Like you know, he's not going to let him live. Like we'll talk about yeah. that later on. But uh, now we're back at um, the Wall, and Jon Snow has them hang, like has them lined up at the gallows. The people who stabbed and killed him, and like here, here we go. I got this written down. There were six men who stabbed him. But only four at the gallows, which were Alistair Thorne, Yarwick, Bowen Marshall, and Ollie. Oh, Bowen Marsh, yeah. So, uh, yep, Alistair Thorne, uh, uh, Bowen, Ma- Bowen Marsh, Othel Yarwick, and Ollie. And so he asked them all for their last words. First guy was like, yeah, you know, you shouldn't be alive. It's not right. And he said, neither was killing me. And then he goes, the next one, he said, hey, you know, tell, tell my family that I died fighting the wildlings goes to Alistair Thorne. Thorne's like, you know, he's, he's he's I would pray I would make the right choice again. <laughs> like he straight up tells him, you know, um uh, you know, I like I did like what I thought was right. I fought, I lost, and now I rest. And then like Ollie just has this like angry look like down on him with like no empathy like no no sympathy. Like basically he had wished that Jon Snow was still dead. Like it was really sad. And so Ollie didn't say any last words and Jon Snow took Longclaw, took a look at the rope, big old swing down, 
and uh, they were hanging high in the gallows. They were Hang swinging. Them Hang them high. Hang them high. They sure did, bro. And I got to say, you know, remember, John looks at Ollie at this point, point. Mm-hmm. and it's literally like he's looking at a family member that just died. Like, he's like, I can't, almost like you're sitting there like, I can't believe what just happened. Like, how did this just happen? How did it get to this? Yeah. And at that point, though, it's like he still remembers, you know, what happened. And he has a sense of anger and anger and fear at the same time. And then after they're sitting there hanging and they're turning blue to the face and their corpses are sitting there. Eyes are popping out of their skulls. (laughs) Ollie's sitting there with literally his mouth hanging open, head to the side, neck broken, right? Yeah. We get that famous quote. And what's that famous quote? Uh, You're talking about when he walks off? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Jon Snow, he he looks over to uh, Dolores Ed. He's like, you have Castle Black now. He's like, you're the Lord Commander. He's like, no, my watch is ended. There like, you go. Straight up, my watch is ended. And guys, why that's significant is because literally, uh, when you say your watch is ended, like like that's their words when you burn. So like they die and you they burn them on like the like the pyre. When you die, they like will never see his like again. And now his watch is ended. And so, John, oh, I'm sorry, John wanna... Snow. He he died. He really died and literally. came back to life. So. Like that's why he's he was like no I'm not I am no longer required to be here I gave my life to the Night's Watch I'm I'm done yeah yep. my watch is ended <laughs> that's exactly yep. what it is so that's exactly what happened and that's the famous that's literally the famous moment where you see all the gifts like my watch is ended and mm-hmm. he's walking out from Winterfell and the Night's Watch or Castle Black Castle Black yeah. Castle Black sorry we're not at Winterfell yet <laughs> uh, but yeah he's walking out from the Night's Watch and he's done at yep. this point oh, he's completely yeah. broken done yep done with the Night's Watch so yeah that was that was episode three now to kind of get through and start on episode four here uh, it really opens with Brienne uh, and Sansa and Podrick them arriving at Castle Black uh it's it's amazing because like when they open the gates and Jon snow like sees it sons like he can't believe it like he's kind of like in shock and awe it's like oh my gosh like 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 my, my sister's alive uh, so i'm still cleaning up the wine guys <laughs> so uh like basically um Sansa and john they embrace they um they kind of like they, they hold each other there and it's just it's just a nice wholesome moment and like a a story that has been filled with grief for their family. They find their way back to each other, like as, as you know, as brother and sister. And you know, it's funny that uh, she basically says, "You have to forgive me." Like you know, he doesn't have nothing to forgive. Uh, she's like, "No, it was awful to you." Like you know, like I, I like I always think of you as a Treebone Stark, even if you are a bastard. So, anyways, um, she also starts pleading with John to retake Winterfell. And at this point in time, like it wasn't really on John's radar. Like, that wasn't his, like, plan to do that right then and there. Um, but what was really cool and badass is right after Sansa pleads with Jon to retake Winterfell, Brienne, so Davos and Melisandre were talking. And Brienne walks up to them and basically shoves it in both their faces that she executed Stannis. 
She's like, I, I, she's like, I, I got justice from my king Renly. He's like, he, he admitted, he admitted to blood magic, killing uh, King Renly by blood magic, before, before I ended his life. So, yeah. Then uh, from there, we get taken to the Vale, where Robin Aaron is absolutely. He might be the worst like person ever. Like, <laughs> like straight up, he can't do anything. He's like, he's trying to shoot a bow and arrow. The arrows are going all over the place. He's nowhere near the target. Like, like the like uh, uh, Jan Royce, which is the the name of the guy who's like his. Will you stop moving the table, Chase? My <laughs> goodness, <laughs> driving me nuts over here. Big dirty. But uh, so uh, yeah, so basically he's a ter- he's like terrible at everything. Robin Aaron is. Um, and so Peter Baelish, he we see him again for the first <laughs> Will time. Will you stop moving the damn table? <laughs> shit. <laughs> Get your shit together, man. Yeah. I had a girl tell me that one time. <laughs> hey, man, I think we've all been there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, Littlefinger arrives at the Vale, and he, he sows discord among Young Rice and blames him for taking Sansa to Winterfell as if it was, like, not his idea the whole time. He's like, yes, we were planning on going that way. But it's like the Boltons knew our every move, and there's only one other person that knew of my uh, my travels, and that was you. So he's basically trying to do a double manipulation, and Jan Royce sees right through it. He's like, he's like, no, I know exactly what you're trying to do, but the thing is is that Peter had given um, Robin Aaron a, a gear falcon, which is one of the most rarest, like, is the rarest bird in Westeros. And if you guys know anything, Robin Aaron is like one of the, is like a tease a child like a child child not like just by size and age like he's mentally a child he was sucking from his mom's tit for milk at like age eight big dirty. like like straight up so like like he's getting these toys and all these things from peter so of course like immediately all he does is just agree with peter baelish on everything like it, it, it it's an it's a like then we were talking that one debate Teacher's about pet. about baelish like just being the smartest guy he, like he knows exactly yeah. he was doing super That's exactly what it was it was the wildest thing so uh, you know, he uses the manipulation to turn Robin Aaron against Jan Royce, and basically, like, he's like, "Hey, should we should we throw him through the moon door?" And he's like, "I've served your house all the time." And he's like, "What do you think we should do uh, um, to, to Peter?" And Peter's like, "Yeah, I think we should give him one more chance." Like Peter, or like Peter Baelish knew exactly what the hell he was doing, and yeah. it was awesome. I I do want to say this real quick, just backing up just for a second when yeah. John leaves. So Ed does say to John, "How can you leave when White Walkers are coming?" Um, and it basically reminds John of you know what happens in season five. But stepping up to Peter Baelish, where we're at over here. No, honestly, I think that's a good thing to go back to real quick because, like, it, I think that actually sowed a little bit of like uncertainty of what John should do because like John stuck around for a little bit after. You know, he's yeah. like my night, like my watch is ended. Because remember, you know, later on we we'll, we'll get into the whole quote about uh, the letter that John receives, right? Mm-hmm. Like John should have been gone. Like he's like you know, right. but he was still there. So right. I think when he said that, the words that you just mentioned, I think that made him like stop and think like, wait, like these kind of these people kind of need me. Which that brings up a good point. Which that's a debate for another show. Were was the Night King and the White Walkers a subplot, or was it? It shouldn't have been. That's my biggest. It should have been the main. Story. That should have been the biggest thing. That should have, like you know we'll talk about in season eight or maybe even the summary, whatever it comes to when I get to it. But this is that this should have been the greatest conflict. It was like foreshadowed by Melisandre saying, you know, this war of five kings is nothing. The real war lies to the north between the living and the dead. Right. This has been like, and even anything else, like that's the biggest war that is the living and the dead. Like it's not, you know, who's going to sit on a freaking iron chair with spikes on it. 
Like, like that, who gives a shit? Like, it's about like, dude, it's the like humanity race going to survive. Like, mm-hmm. that's my biggest thing. Like, and like we'll get into that later on. But yeah, yeah. So, but you know, basically at this point, he's starting to gain the power of the veil. Uh, well, Peter Baelish. Baelish. Yes. 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 yes mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is super important later on. Yes. Um. So while this is happening, uh, you know, like Peter Baelish convinces Robin Aaron to help Sansa because, like, I thought it was funny the way he said it too. He's he's like. Uh, She's like, well, maybe we should help her. He's like, she is my cousin. Maybe you should help her. And Peter Bell's like, my, that's what I was thinking too. Like as if he wasn't trying to like manipulate right. him into saying exactly, it. It was awesome. Yeah. He's yeah, like, my no, thoughts exactly. <laughs> like trying to validate him as making the great decision. Even though, like you, like he, he's the ultimate. Like he's honestly the smartest character in Game of Thrones. For Throwing sure. out an Easter egg, which yeah. we're not going to ever get into this now. It gets into later on, which we start going into it this season. I don't think I solved the prophecy, but I think I solved what they Benninghoff and Wise's perspective on it. Okay, and like it, it's interesting, guys. You'll like this, but um, we'll we'll wait. We'll, we'll wait get on into that it. later. Yeah, no, it was it, yeah. Because uh, don't he, forget he, he that he tried to he tried to tell me that he thought he did it before, and like <laughs> that would just it didn't turn out that way. Um, but like we're like. We'll get to that later. And we're like, getting uh, close. We're getting close. We're getting we're close. We're creeping. We're creeping. Dude. Then you, again, you, eight you, episodes later, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you do realize like we're, we're going into season seven after like this arc. We now we got two more yeah. episodes to do for season six after today. But um, we're, 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 we're closing in. Yeah. Um, we, like the end's in sight. Like, we see oh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Most definitely. Don't worry, guys. We notice uh, like our buddy John actually posted on Facebook, you know, laughing face. <laughs> Eight episodes later, I thought you guys would be at season eight. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that was the original plan, right? We we're gonna we we're gonna try to fit in, you know, our whole podcast like for one of like the seasons. Like, yeah, we'll do one episode per season, and there's like there's wildly way too much detail, as you can see. Like we're we're at you know we're over at like in almost we're at an hour forty five right now, and we've only done one episode and only went to like a couple points at the second yeah, episode. Yeah, we're, we're we're on three and into four right now. We're like. We're not even halfway through episode four, so like it's 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 wild like how much you know there's how much detail there is uh, to really break down if you want to do it the right way like what we're trying to do. So. Yeah, and that's something we're never gonna rob our fans of is detail because that's what sets us apart from other you know other podcasts. You're never gonna find another podcast like us because of the detail, the perspectives, the content. I mean, that's what we're here for, for sure. And so uh, you know while this is all going on. Over in the Vale, um, Tyrion he meets with the masters of Asapor and Yunkai, and it's funny because actually the man who bought Tyrion, like like for uh, like for the pits, the one who like bought Jorah and Tyrion, he's now one of the the, the wise master. He's like uh, the wise master of Yunkai. The other one's like the good master of Asapor. And then, um, yeah, dude. So I thought it was really interesting because like he's like we've both risen high, uh, <laughs> like really interestingly. But uh, anyways. Basically, what Tyrion does, he offers them a deal where Yunkai and Asterpor have... So, like, slavery will never come to Marine again, but Yunkai and Asterpor have seven years to abolish slavery. And, like, why that's huge is because, like, that's almost against exactly what Danny was trying to do. But in Tyrion's mind, he's like, listen, like, we need to give them time to adjust to, like, figure out something else that brings in the money. Like, because that, that was their biggest, you know, that was, for their economy, that was their biggest drive was, like, the slave trade. Like that was right. how like that's how their world went around, and so taking that out of there, like they they weren't like they didn't know what to do. So what Tyrion's saying is like, okay, we'll allow you guys to do this, but only for a short amount of time until you find a system to replace the slavery. And then Grey Worm, 
he sits there and tells Tyrion, he's like, listen, like, you're not using them. They're going to use you. You don't understand. Like, I, I literally was like a child when they cut my wiener off. And, you know, <laughs> and like, I've, I've been like, you know, like I've been treated like I don't, like, he's been through everything that he's seen the worst of the worst of these people can. And that's the mistake that Tyrion makes is that he underestimates these people because like, it's not like Westeros. They're not the same. People in, in Essos are not the same as in Westeros. He's not dealing with the same animal here. So he cannot treat these negotiations as if he's speaking to Westerosian people. Exactly. And basically what it's doing at this point right is Tyrion's goal is it basically cuts off the sons of harpy's power right they're funding yes yeah there is no power um and i mean you know it's imagine it like this guys it's like cutting off it's literally if it's really funny what's going on today look at the united states i mean there is no economy the economy is in a downfall so there's no money going to the government so look the government in result is starting to shut down it's like your entire power source is shutting down because you're cutting off the people in power i guess backwards right so you're cutting off the council you're cutting the funding is the biggest deal like if if these guys aren't getting paid to do this they don't have like there's nothing that they're getting paid to do it's like why like it's like almost like there's no incentive for them to continue doing it yeah right you know, you know what i mean it's like that's exactly why with all these like um these companies out here who are temporarily letting go of their employees what's actually called furloughing what ends up happening here is like they've got a business to run but the thing is is like they can't run it because there's no one coming in so uh they can't make any money and they can't pay you to do nothing so they have to like let you let you go so like you're not just going to work for your company for free. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the whole, yeah. same whole concept here with the Sons of Harpy. When you cough their funding, what's the incentive to, you know, put your life on the line if you've got nothing to gain from it? Right. So that's exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and during this time, over in Vast Dothrak, Dario, Dario and Jorah arrive, and they come up with a plan to pose as Western marketers, which is really interesting. And they start like they start like disarming themselves because, like, guys, remember the, in Vast Dothrag, you're not allowed to carry weapons. It's like a big like like it's like sacrilegious to carry weapons in the in the um, great city of, De- of Vast Dothrag. So mm-hmm. uh, when like they're kind of taking the, their weapons off of each other, Dario Nahara sees uh, Jorah Mormont's grayscale. Like he's, yep. he, he looks at down, he sees it in his arm and, uh, he, he goes, uh, he tells him he'll put it like, Oh yeah. He sees his gray cell. And he's like, you know what happens? He said, I know what happens. Uh, you know, so he's already fully prepared for all these consequences. And, you know, anyways, they had a job to do. Right. So what ends up happening is, uh, like they, like <laughs> he, because, uh, he sees the gray scale, Dario's like, I really don't want you to touch my dagger. I'll, I'll put my dagger right on its own. But the thing is like, he's like, I'm really attached to this thing. And he does that weird, like, like twirl flip around his fingers. Like, and that's a dagger that he used in single combat when he put it through the horse's eye. Right. He's used that dagger for so many different things. And he's like, I was, I'm really attached to this. Don't forget, you know, that dagger <clears throat> had a naked woman on the handle. Yes. Yes, it <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah. Good right. call, bro. Good call. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the, the, the whole like shocker of this is like, when they go in there, so now I'm going to go ahead and get to my right page of notes. Jorah gets his ass kicked because he's an old man. He's an old, <laughs> old man. <laughs> he's old. But, uh, yeah, so they go into there and like the Dothraki don't believe their Western marketers for a second. <laughs> like that plan just fell through the moment they saw them. 
And uh, so Dario kills the first Dothraki and comes back and saves Jorah's ass. Like, because Jorah was getting yeah. his ass kicked. So the, the, long, the short story of this is Dario kept his dagger. And the reason that was a problem is because, like, hey, listen, if they find this guy's body with, like, a stab wound in it, we're not going to make it out of Vastothrak alive. Like, they're going to find us. Like, they're going to search the entire, they're going to scour the entire land, and they know it better than us, so we're going to be screwed. So they come up with a plan to uh, make it look like he was killed, like, by something else. And so <laughs> what Dario does is legitimately smash this guy's head into mush with a rock. <laughs> Yeah. Like a boulder. Literally. That sucks. It, it reminded me of if y'all have ever seen that movie. Um what was that movie with Cold Stone? What's it? Stone Cold, that's his name. It was uh man, what was that movie? I wanna say it was like Oh, Outlander. the Expendables? Not oh, Expendables. Okay. It was like um remember that movie where they were on the on an island and like all the people were like prisoners or whatever? No. Do you remember what I was talking about? Mm-mm. It was like, I want to say it's called like Enslaved or something. I can't remember what it's called. I'm going to look it up real quick. Let me find out what it is. Yeah, so while you look that up, I'll go into a little bit more from here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, so Jorah and Dario, they actually find Daenerys as she's going out to go to the bathroom. And like they, they try to kill the other girl there. But Danny stops them and tells them that she has a plan. Like basically... Because she just saved that girl's life from getting killed by by Dario and Jorah, she's like like hey listen like do you trust me like like just I got a plan but I need you to trust me. So they're like okay you know because what they just want to do is like they this, it was the condemned. The condemned. <laughs> that I've was never a, seen it. Yeah, it was trash. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and it will stay that way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. Like uh, they the Danny like they. They just realize, you know, hey, listen, this is our queen. We're going to listen to her as much as we want to sneak her away like this. Maybe she's got a better plan. So she's like, I've got a plan, but I need your help. And we don't find what that plan is right away because it takes us back to Marjorie and the High Sparrow talking and, you know, about that. And we hear about the High Sparrow story about how he, he kind of came from, he said he was like, he had like, a, he used to be like a, someone who had made shoes. He uh, had this awesome story about going on and how he was at a feast and how everyone was having a good old time, and they're just like lopping up the luxuries of the world. But the next morning, people passed out. He noticed like like a stench and smell, and how gross people were. Like even like like, like the rich and the yeah. poor, they're all the same, um, you know. And at that point in time, he said he didn't even like, he woke up, didn't even put the shoes back on his feet, and hasn't had shoes since. Like, um, but yeah. So we hear a little bit about his story and where he comes from. And honestly, it's a cool story. Like it, you know, it tells it kind of shows exactly why he is the way that he is. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, so from there, uh, Marjorie tries to convince Loras to stay strong and keep going because, like, that's, that was his, like, whole thing. And he's like, listen, Marjorie, you've been doing great, so I'm going to give you, like, a little, little like, treat here, and I'm going to let you see your brother for a little bit. They bring him into that little thing, that little, that little dungeon, the, the black cells, right? And <clears throat> you see Loras has been through it, man. Like, he's sitting there, like, malnourished. Like, he's, like, like you know, like, literally solitary. cries in yeah. Marjorie's arms. Yeah, good, yeah, good call, man. Straight up. So it was interesting, uh, he, like that. Uh, she's trying to get him to stay strong, and he's like, "Dude, I, I don't want to. Like, I, I'm dog yeah. everything, man." Um, yeah, and I mean, it uh, then kind of leads into you know, Tom and advises Cersei. He he basically, I want to say, like antagonizes the High Sparrow. Uh, because the High Sparrow has Marjorie at this point. Um, and, you know, this is where you still, 
you kind of start to see. Well, because what ends up happening, you know, Cersei yeah. wants revenge. Well, on top of that, well, what ends up happening? It's not even just more about the revenge. It's the fact that like they learn that Marjorie's going to take a walk of atonement. Like Tommen right. tells Cersei exactly. that she's going like, to yeah. make a walk of atonement. And so Cersei, what she does, she goes and tells Olena and Kevin Lannister, and they have to plan to stop the High Sparrow with like the High Garden army, while Kevin Lannister stands his army down. That was the whole plan. It's like, listen, we're going to come here with all of High Garden. We're going to make sure that she does not make that walk. And the thing is, like, you won't be. Uh, not following the king's orders if you're not there. Like you don't like you know she's like hey so you Kevin right. Lannister you're gonna stand down and act like you don't know what's going on. Olena you're gonna bring Highgarden's army in and we're gonna take we're not making sure that she does not make this walk. Exactly. <clears throat> Which is it's right. funny because like High Sparrow is always one step ahead. Um, but yeah, so Theon returns to the Iron Islands at this point and his sister confronts him about like you know. How men died trying to free him, and how he acted like a scared doggy dog, and went back into the thing. He's like, I'm Reed, I'm Reed. So Theon tells her that she should rule the Iron Iron Islands, which is, and I think this is something important though. It's like like she, he tells her that she should rule the Iron Islands, and like Iron Islands have never had a woman leader, and she was she was like upset with the fact that he returned. Then it wasn't his fault. But it just happened to be the time that Balon Greyjoy has died, and like there's a king's move, and she's afraid that they're gonna support Theon because he's the natural-born son of Balon Greyjoy. So she, he's like, no, like I'm, I'll support your bid for, for ruling the Iron Islands. Yeah. Um, then we go back to uh, Ramsay over in Winterfell, and he sends for Osha, who's the wildling who was like in charge of taking care of Recon. Right. And Osha tries to seduce and kill Ramsay, like she did with like the, like how she escaped Winterfell. Oh, then. I love this. This part. is an awesome part, straight up. Because this is the girl I couldn't stand as yeah. an actor, actress. actress yeah. <laughs> Tonks. Yeah, yeah. All all these similarities you can hear. You, probably you want me to it. describe this one, dude? Go for it, man. Is I that got, cool? Yeah, yeah, do that. Because I'm gonna do the letter, so you're gonna do that. <laughs> Sounds good. So Osha tries to seduce him, right? Um, and as she's coming up on him, and she's basically like. Oh, you know, there's so many ways I can pleasure you, all this sort of stuff. And Ramsey, the sick, sadistic way, at first, you're kind of, like, thinking about him as a, like, Joker-like character. Like, he's like, yeah, like, you're sitting here thinking as a Spartacus episode. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's definitely going to try to take advantage of her, have sex with her, all this stuff. And Ramsey's sitting there thinking, like, yeah, like, I'm going to seduce you. Yeah. When really in his head, he's got multiple plans. Oh, he's like, yeah, are you ready? Absolutely. Oh, he's good to go. So she hops on him. She completely starts to, you know, kiss up on him, kiss his neck, grab him around the entire body. Um, And he's right before he's cutting the apple with the knife like over and over and over eating you know eating the apple kind of sadistically you're almost like sitting here thinking it's foreplay for a minute um and you're you're making yourself wonder is this osha's plan all along is she this stupid to think she can get this one over on ramsey he's so excuse my language incredible effing incredible but the thing is is that the, the she was she doesn't know him she, right. She's got no idea who Ramsey is from anybody. 
So like in her mind, she's like, it's worked. They worked on Theon's guards when I had to get Recon and Bran out of Winterfell. Maybe it'll work again. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like seducing yeah. the guy, then like you know, reaching for that knife. So yeah, tell him how that ends. <laughs> so basically, what happens is as she's seducing him. What she does is she grabs him around the neck and starts to reach, uh, tries to reach for the knife that he's actually cutting the apple with. On the yeah, it's on the table like right next to them. Ramsey says, "Oh, you're you're an incredible talker." Now he's see to, how he's trying, Joker, his, he's trying to do his Joker. Let voice. me tell Ramsey, you Ramsey how, doesn't sound like that. Let but. me tell you how close this is to a Joker, right? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> like, who says that? Ramsey says, quote, unquote, you're an incredible talker. I like that. Uh, Ramsey, being always one in step ahead, as she's trying to grab the knife and she's kissing on him, grabs the knife, stabs her in the throat as he's letting her kiss him and he's holding her down the whole reason ramsey let her kiss him on the neck is just so he had the opportunity to hold her down by the back of the neck how fucking sick is that it's it's really crazy there's a couple things i want to just add to that um just like kind of set the scene a little bit was that she's like he's like you're a great talker you know who else was a great talker theon Greyjoy. he he didn't learn well at first it took a while but we got everything out of him. Like Not, how the boys escaped from Winterfell. So at that point you knew he knew about her. Oh and yeah. And like, so she, the thing is like, she did, like, I'm going to say she got the knife and she went to go down to, to stab him. But as she had it up in the air, he had this knife there and boom, boom, right through like, right through boom, the throat, right through the throat. So it was just funny how she like played it off. He like played it off. Like, Oh, you thought you knew what you're doing, but guess what? I already know about what you're capable Not of. Not to mention, let's go into this. First of all, as she's kissing on him, he's literally fingering her. Like, let's not forget that because it's literally to the point of imagine seducing a guy and he's not even into it. He's sitting there playing video games, just trying to pleasure you because he's sitting there playing video games. He literally knew exactly what he was trying to do. He didn't care. He wasn't into it. He wasn't even thinking anything sexually. He was trying to get her off just for the idea of her mind was taken off what was about to go on because she was getting mind fucked because he was going to hold her down by the neck and stab her through the throat. Like, how fucked up is that? Get in your kennel, Reek. You smell like shit. So, yeah. Then what happens next after that? So, Osha, like, it, it's sad that, you know, she dies, but we kind of had a feeling that that was going to happen, especially since how, you know, we, we knew that Recon wasn't. Think of this, though. Like, she literally... <laughs> Ramsey not only mentally overpowered her, but physically raped her. How fucked up is that? I wouldn't say raped her because she was like willing, like she was on top of him, like doing stuff. I guess so. Like, so yeah. consensual, right? <laughs> yeah, consensual, but like consensual in the stuff. wrong yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but you know, so. Um, but I do want to say this: how brutal it is. She falls on the floor, holding her throat. As she completely bleeds out her vocal cords and dies. <laughs> like, as you sit there and basically And he's laughs. just chilling there. And he's like eating his apple. Like, yeah, man. Happened. I'm going to finish casual. eating my apple with the same knife. Yeah. Yep. Just very, very casual. He's, he's a psychopath. But uh, next thing that happens is Ramsey sends Jon Snow a letter. 
And guys, I tell you, I literally pause and I have it on like the subtitles and pause it and write it down. This took me like six tries to go through. So I know I've got it 100% correct. But uh, Jon Snow opens a letter. And this is this is one part. This is before we even start the letter. The guy comes in, like the messenger saying that there's a letter for the Lord Commander of Castle Black. And Jon Snow is like, I'm not the Lord Commander. And everyone's like looking at him. He's like, fine, give me the letter. <laughs> so he's just like, give me the letter. So... Uh, the, John opens it, and the letter reads, To the traitor and bastard John Snow, you allowed thousands of wildlings past the wall. You have betrayed your own kind. You have betrayed the North. Winterfell is mine, bastard. Come and see. Your brother, Recon, is in my dungeon. His direwolf skin is on my floor. Come and see. I want my bride back. Send her to me, bastard, and I will not trouble you or your wildling lovers. Keep her from me, and I will ride north and slaughter every wildling man, woman, and babe living under your protection. You will watch as I skin them living. You will watch as my soldiers take turn raping your sister. You will watch as my dogs devour your wild little brother. And then I will spoon your eyes from their sockets and let my dogs do the rest. Come and see. Ram signed Ramsey Bolton, Lord of Winterfell, and Warden of the North. Dude, yeah, that's a letter. <laughs> that's a that's a letter, letter bro. <laughs> I mean, and uh, same thing. I literally broke it down too. Is like it's the reason he keeps saying, "Come at me, bastard." Keep remembering, you know, one thing Ramsey always prides himself on is Roos Bolton removed the name of bastard from him. He is a Bolton now, and it's basically a call out to John. Like it's a challenge. Like, bring everything you can. I'm going to fuck you up. Dude, it's like, and he almost uses it as like a demeaning thing. Like, you're, you're lower than me because you're a bastard. It's like, bro, like, so are you. You just have like a letter saying that you're not. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. It's like, it's just, yeah. a, it's just a, a mind tricks that he likes to play. Um, you know, and then, well, that, after that happened, we go back to Vast Dothrak. And this is where the great calls meet. And they bring Daenerys into the temple and they start talking about, what they should do with her. And so what Danny does is she straight up insults the great calls, tells them that they are small men and not fit to rule the Dothraki, but she is. And like to these guys, to these Dothraki, these are savages. These are people who are just like, I'm going to say mindless beasts, but they, it's not that they have like extra shreds of intelligence. They're great battlefield people. Like on like they're great warriors and stuff and they're great conquerors. But like they've got no idea. Like like so when she's saying this, they've got no inkling that she has a plan. They're not smart to think like, hey, why is she so comfortable? A small girl, all of 110 pounds, talking to us like beefed up, jacked up, you know, like you know, barbarians. Like why is she so confident and comfortable? Like they just they just mock her. And it's like if you would have had any sort of thought of like, hey, maybe I should think of like, wait, why are you so confident saying this? Like maybe like do some like like recon of like what's going on like maybe some situational awareness maybe things don't end up like this but straight up they're like no you know you know what you're like you're you're gonna be a slave you're gonna be fucked by everybody and the horses like straight up like yeah i have that yeah quote. go for don't it man tell them the quote so Cal Coro, that Moro with an M. Moro, 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 Coro, Boro, Zoro. <laughs> yeah, Cal Moro. He says, quote, unquote, which doesn't exist in the books. How about we take turns fucking you? How about I let all my blood riders fuck you? And if there is anything left, 
We'll give our horses a turn. Calcoro says, you're a crazy cunt. Did you really think we would really serve you? Danny says, you're not going to serve. You're, you're going to die. die. That was awesome. I have that run down too. You're not going to serve. You're going to die. And then she grabs like she grabs like the um, things with the fire on it, the coals, just like and they're like looking at her like while she's holding it because you guys remember like like she like fire can't hurt a dragon, right? So fire doesn't affect her. She legit is holding on this thing and just throws it in front of them, burns down the entire temple. Like they have it locked inside. They try to get out of that that door. And Jorah and um and Dario they had killed like the guards outside it and they had barred the door so no one could get out. And so she straight up burned all the great calls in this fire, but the whole burn thing on top of her too. And then as the thing is going down in ashes and, 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 and timbers and the you know, cinders and all that, she sits there and walks out naked as her name day. Just, just like just, season one. Just like baby. season one when she walked down. That's some that's some good uh, full circle as well. Back back to where <clears> we started. Back to where we started. She walks out of that great pyre and she's got three dragons. Well, she walks out of that fire and everyone just... Bow, that takes a knee, bows bend the down knee, to her. Baby. They, bend, oh, the they knee. bent that knee. And I she, do oh. want to say real quick, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I have the Valyrian, which is really cool. Because she says, you're a Vosichi, you're a Vadevo, which means you are not going to serve, you're going to die. You're a Vasavi, <laughs> you're a Vosichi, you're a Vadevo, which is literally she looks at the entire cow. Yeah, all like the, the, the big pull, pushes... Yeah. The entire what was it like a bowl or some shit? It was, yeah, it was like just like a, a big. So it was like a big. Um, it was a. It had like a, basically you put like almost like a big serving bowl with a pole at the bottom like that was on the ground. So it's stuff that you would walk up to almost like a grill in a way, but like it was an actual fire burning and like there, like it was just like coals like a fireplace. Fire. Yeah, like it's like yeah. yeah, it's like it's like a basically a, a standing fire pit basically yeah. like it's a standing fire pit. And there's a bunch of them to kind of just light and keep the place warm. And she grabs it right on the inside where, like, any normal person that's going to burn your hands off, like, you're going to have, like, third-degree burns. And she holds on to it just to show them, like, yeah, you guys are fucked. And then she throws it on them. But, yeah, and she walks <laughs> burns out. Burns into the ground. And so this is the, this is the point I want to make, guys. Because remember, everyone was terrified of Khal Drogo. Khal Drogo was known as, you know, an undefeated, never-had-his-hair-cut warrior. And he had a Kalsar of 10,000. Bro, all of the Dothraki were there for the Kalar Vesven, meaning there was a hundred thousand Dothraki there, and now Daenerys rules them all. She, they got all of all a hundred thousand warriors in her new army, bro. We're burning it all to break it, to back, break it down, back down <laughs> to burn it down. So they all kneel to her, a hundred thousand strong, and that closes out episode four um but now now that that closes out it's just really it's amazing to see where danny had come from having nothing and no friends and no really assistance outside of jorah to you know marrying drogo then taking drogo's kalasar the ones that stayed after like she came out of the fire pit to going to karth to having all her like people butchered for the most part to starting back over getting unsullied by giving one of the dragons and actually like betraying krasness and getting the unsullied for free really (laughs) and then she goes uh, and gets the uh, second sons over in um, Yunkai. 
and now she <laughs> takes over Marie and has a whole city like the slavers are like people who are the former slaves are like people who are indebted to her and now she goes and gets the Dothraki too so now she's got the second sons the unsullied and a, a horde of a hundred thousand Dothraki and I remember like one of the things that she said she's like I want you all you are you are all my blood riders because the blood riders of the Dothraki you can only have two of them like uh for per call and she's like no i want you are all my blood riders all like dude, like will you will you cross the poison water with me to take like to tear down the, the men in the iron suits so it was pretty cool man and i think it's really important at this point dario really starts to gain respect for her he's never seen anything like this cuz he yeah exactly cuz like he he heard the stories of her walking out of that fire pyre with the dragons but you you can't you can only appreciate that so much in the story he saw firsthand her walk out of that fire blazing uh, Dosh Kaleen temple. Literally, he, like, he's like, <laughs> like, it was season one all over again. It was really it cool. It was season one. He saw the embers in Jorah, Dario, and the rest of the entire Kalasar. Yeah. Just bent the knee. All of Vast Dothrak <laughs> bent the knee. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of tell a little bit about what we're going to be doing going forward from here a little bit. Um, so yeah. quickly, uh, What's going to happen next, guys? Because we keep getting those like requests and people telling us what they want about like you know Harry Potter and other things coming. Our plans are, after the Game of Thrones arc, we're going to jump into Westworld. We're going to do one episode each on each of the three seasons of Westworld. And then, come July, we're going to start Harry Potter. The big Symbolism arc. of three. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, absolutely. Gonna... But... Um, Guys, thanks for joining us today. This this one was actually one of my favorite ones that we've done so far. I yeah, think it sounded really, really good. That's a good stuff. Um, looking even forward spilling to... the wine. Yeah, man. I, I, realistically, <laughs> wine, yeah, and dying, wine and dying, baby. Not this even, is a real podcast. Not even half bad, brother. So, uh, what we'll do here is is we'll leave you with that for now. Um, so, uh, okay, one more thing too, guys, is uh, we always have to say this at the end. So, for the people who have already done this, great. But if you enjoy listening to us, guys, please hit like, subscribe to not only our, our YouTube channels and our podcast, but and join us in some of these debates that we've been having. Uh, we want to hear your feedback. Uh, you know, we hope you guys are staying safe with everything out there. But until next time, guys, this has been the Ridiculous Crew with Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off.